Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. It's no different than what Monsanto live. It really isn't. So many reports out there. There's a guy in, 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 in Hawaii, his name is Hector Valenzuela. Hector is a professor at the University of Hawaii. He's from Guatemala. The guy's a great guy. And he is the only professor <laughs> in, in, in the ag department that speaks out against GMOs. So, of course, the other professors who are hookers for Monsanto, because the University of Hawaii gave Monsanto a 500, accepted a $500,000 donation from Monsanto, okay? The university accepted that money. They went out and they did a number on Hector. He had 10 years, so they couldn't fire him. So they said that he was from Guatemala. And you know that Guatemalans are all low class and they're idiots. And the guy doesn't know what he's talking about and yada, 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 yada. Anyway, Hector is a good guy and he's, he's straight. The guy, the scientist or the professor at the University of Hawaii who instigated all this stuff, his name is Mark Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. And if I were you, I would go Google or Yahoo, do whatever, and look up contact Mark Wright of the University of Hawaii. And I would send him, I think you can only do it through Facebook, uh, I'm still trying to figure out another way, but I, I would, I would think that you would bombard this guy and tell him that he's a real dick. That's what I would think that you would do, because it's people like this that the Monsanto hookers that gang up on the guys that are trying to help us, and this is the problem. Look, we're living in a world. I, I told you about the Bilderbergs. I told you about what Dr. Day was talking about. You see all this implementation. Now you've got the Pope is saying, yes, we have to abide. We, we, must, we must fight for climate control and, and not the decimation of the climate. Even if it means that we have to eradicate six billion people, that's what we need to do to save the planet. Well, okay, well, fine. What six billion people are they going to eradicate? Are they going to take away the haves? Or are they going to take away the have-nots or the sheeple? It's the guys that have the money that want to enjoy the resources. And because they have the money and they have the power, they say, well, why shouldn't I have full access to it? Why should the guy who comes to clean my, or, or the gardener who comes to Cut my grass. Enjoy this. I am better than he. See, people, they don't, something got lost somewhere down the line. The soul, the, the soul, 
transmigrates from body to body to body to body to body. Okay. The human form is the ultimate form. Now, why? When the, if, the, if the soul is transmigrating from amoeba bodies to ant bodies to bird bodies to duck bodies to, to cockroach bodies to dog bodies to cow bodies to pig bodies to bird bodies, whatever, they're not controlled by karma. They're controlled by the laws of nature. And they do what they do inherently because that's indicative. Okay. You get to the human form, you got a choice. You really. The human form is the, ch the choice form. Not that you chose to get there, but you finally got there and now you have a choice. Number one, you can strive for unlimited sense gratification to the max where you just think you're enjoying life at every turn, even though you might be depressed, even though you might be a little upset. I mean, all the guys with the money, all the Elvises and all the, the Jim Morrisons and, and, and uh, what, what, was, what was that guy, the guitar player? The guy you like. Back in the old the, the rock guitarist. Bob Martin? No, not Bob Janet Martin. Joplin. No, Janet's not. The guitarist, the black guy. You love him. You love his music. Bob Martin. No, God, no. I don't know. No, anyway, it'll come to me when it comes to me. The guy was really popular back in the 60s and 70s. He could play guitar. I mean, the guy played the Star Spangled Banner on his electric guitar. Why, why, why do all these guys die? Why do they all commit suicide? They got all the money. Why would they do that? Aren't they happy? No, they're miserable. Just because you have money doesn't mean you're happy. You can buy happiness, but that doesn't calm your mind. Okay, so the human form can go in two directions. One direction is the ultimate gratification of the senses, but that leads to despair and depression and all kinds of stuff. Or, or you can somehow try to develop a relationship with God. And I'm not going on an evangel, uh, evangelical bandwagon here. I'm just saying that's the other choice. And what happens is as you approach and you have baby steps and you get closer and closer, when you leave your body, you take on another form and spiritually you can pick up where you left off until you can develop that relationship with him. And then at that point, when you leave your body, you go back to the spiritual world and you don't have to worry about taking birth in another material form and going through the crap all over again for generations and generations and generations, especially in this age, the Iron Age, where you live to be 100 years old if you're lucky. And from what I'm understanding and from what everything I've read, at the end of this age, which ends in another 400 some odd thousand years, people who are spiritually inclined um, have to hide because people want to kill them because it's, it's sense gratification over everything. You know, we talked about how they want to use sports as, as to take away. 
see, it's, everything is used to take you away from developing a relationship with God. So when you go to a football game, you go to a baseball game, you do, people are out there, hundreds of thousands of people roaring and screaming, and they're getting upset and they're happy. The guys are upset because their team lost. The guys are happy because their team won. It goes on and on and on and on and on, up and down, up and down. So it's like you're constantly on a roller coaster. <laughs> the roller coaster never ends. So what do you got to do? You got to take responsibility for you. You've got to put unleaded fuel in the gas tank because that makes the engine run better. You don't contaminate it with dairy products that have no value with eggs and all that stuff, all the meats that are loaded with toxic chemicals because after all, that's what keeps them rosy red and keeps them from stinking. You've got to eat a simple plant-based diet. Simple. That's it. Drink purified water, not fluoridated water. Keep healthy. Everything works. And try to go in the opposite direction of gratifying your senses. Go somewhere where that'll pay off. Because God is the only infallible being on the face of the world. And that's how it works. And you've got to take responsibility. All I can do is put it out there. I can lead you to the water hole. That's the last chapter of my book. It's called At the Water Hole. Oh, yeah. Do you want to take a walk on the wild side? The book I wrote is called A Sane Diet for an Insane World. And you can go to www.asanediet.com. You can also go to my website, which is www.healthtalkhawaii.com. Listen to tons of radio shows, read tons of articles, and get a grip. Or, if you want, you can email me at heshgoldstein at gmail.com. Feel free to run whatever by me, and I'll do the best I can to help you. Well, I guess George Harrison is doing his thing, and uh, I, I really like this song, and I hope that you guys like it. So we'll let him run it out, and uh, I'll catch you all next week. Aloha. have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. 
If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. I'm Alfred Addisk, and this is the American Independence Hour for Tuesday, 30th day of June, year of our Lord, 2015. As always, I'm a man made in God's image. I'm in as per Genesis 1, 26 through 28. I'm endowed by my Creator with certain unalienable rights as per the Declaration of Independence. Second sentence, the Declaration of Independence. I'm broadcasting from within the borders of the state of Texas, a member state of the Perpetual Union styled the United States of America as per the Articles of Confederation. Co-host is Frank Stefan. How are you doing, Frank? I'm hot, Al. You're hot? <laughs> yeah, I'm hot. It's it's hot in here. Well, what can I tell you? You're in Oregon. That's supposed to be hot, is it? Well, it's southern Oregon, and it's, uh, no, you know, you wouldn't think so, but... You're down in the banana belt, then. Apparently, we are. Uh-huh. Even though you get a bunch no... of coconuts and this sort of thing down there? Pears and grapes, but... Pears uh, and grapes, not coconuts. No coconuts, and no bananas. We have hmm. no bananas. No, we wouldn't Yes, we have. Yes, we have. Yes, no we have no bananas. <laughs> um, all right, so I, I heard you say it got up to 103. It's 103 right now. Right now. Yeah. Yeah, right now it's 103. Got up to 105. So it's 6 o'clock your time right now. It is. Yeah. It is. But you see here, this is the one thing. Most people think, uh, you know, 1 o'clock in the afternoon is probably about as hot as it gets. But that's not true. Around here, it's more like 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon is when it peaks. at. You know, this is now it's as hot as it gets. What's your elevation there? Um, Where I live, it, we sit right at 2,200 feet. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's not super high or anything like that, but it's not sea level either. I mean, no, and it it does tend to be, uh, like if you're right down in the valley, mm-hmm. you know, like in a asphalt parking lot. It, I don't know if it actually is hotter, but it sure seems a lot hotter mm-hmm. uh, down there. And it's, you know, it's uh, and, and this is uh, pretty much that in the sun. It's not it's not 103 in the shade here. It's only 102. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. The, you can feel the difference. Oh boy, man! It, I tell you, it, it doesn't seem that bad in the shade, but you get out into the sun, and it's—I uh, don't know if the sun has gotten a little more aggressive over the years, or I've gotten old, or what. Oh wait, I do know. I have gotten old. Okay, never mind. Well, the sun's getting older too, you know. Well, it's getting mean. It's aging at the same rate you are. Get mean. Have 
longer life expectancy than you have. That's I think all. it's getting mean in its old age. Then, because I can remember the first time I moved to El Paso. I don't remember the elevation there, but I think it was about 3,000, 3,500 feet. Mm-hmm. And when I moved down there from Illinois, I'm driving around in my pickup truck, hanging my arm out the window. And I only did that for about, I don't know, a couple hours. The difference in elevation really made a, you know, the sun was not oppressive back at 800-foot elevation or whatever it was in Illinois. Right. When you get up to 3,500 foot, I don't remember what it was in El Paso exactly, but something like that, you get a little more, so, you know, the sun goes a lot further, and I mean, it real sear your arm. Yeah. It's not long. you got your arm hanging out the window. You uh-uh. Yeah. That ain't going to work. What's you know? wrong with my arm here? Oh, yeah. my gosh. Where did all these blisters come from? Yeah. Yeah, surprise, surprise. So I sent you a list of links about what we might talk about today, and I know you didn't have much time to look at them, but do you have a choice as to which one you would like to start with? Oh, well, let's see here. Uh, well, why not at the beginning there? Things you didn't know about the Civil War. I mean, that's all. that's been a real, I don't know. The Civil War was kind of an interesting thing to me, even as a kid, you know, and I got taught the same, uh, oh, you know, it was about slavery and this and that and the other thing and blah, blah, blah in school and Actually, when I went to school, we got a little more of the story than just that. But, nevertheless, we got that part of it, too. But uh, when I got older and looked into it, uh, there's a lot of very interesting things about the Civil War. You know, For example? Well, for example, like the main reason it started was, you know, economics. I mean, yeah. you know, it was just the North wanted stuff cheap and free, and uh, and they didn't want anybody else having it. And they got, you know... They, they wanted the South as a as a supplier for cheap yeah, commodities, cotton and whatever that they could use to make shirts and whatever clothes. And up in the North with the Northern industry, they wanted cheap commodities from the South, and that was essentially what drove the situation. Yeah, and it wasn't even that. And it wasn't even that the South said, "Oh, well, that's it. We're not selling you anything." They said, uh, "Hey, you know, there's all these uh, buyers in Europe." That, hey, they'll pay more. Yeah. You know, so you'll have to pay. And they, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. You, we won't. I and agree. they had Congress, you know, they had, uh, uh, they had more population in the North. So they had more representatives in the uh, House of Representatives. And, uh, you know, the South. Yeah, but even then, you know, they had a fundamental problem. And this may even be the source of. What a lot of people see as our difficulties today with what may be a corporate federal government. And the problem was they needed two-thirds of the Congress to be present to conduct business. Hmm? Mm-hmm. And when the 13 states of the Confederacy, I believe it was 13, when they bailed out, Congress could no longer put together they couldn't easily put together the two-thirds. See, they said you guys are still in part of one of the states. They said, no, we're not. Now, if they agreed if they agreed that the South was out, then it would be two-thirds of the remaining northern states needed to conduct business in the Congress. But insofar as they said, huh, <laughs> you guys say you quit, but we aren't going to let you quit, that 13 was part, the 13 Confederate states were part of the quorum I'm not sure that's the proper term, but the number of states that was required to do business in Congress. And the result was you take that 13 out, they're not showing up. They don't have the, they they basically don't have 
a quorum to do business. Well, and they couldn't have it both ways. See, the federal that government was the was, problem. You know, in, a, in kind of so, what did jam. they do? So, what did they do? They just acted illegally. You know, and in, uh, in what we, regard? Well, executive order, and uh, you know, we don't need we don't need the Congress to. Uh, to that be may here. be correct. That may be correct, but I'll tell you what I think. I think it might be the moment that they said, "Look." We could start a corporation and call it the United States. Hmm. And we could run this corporation just like any other corporation. The only members would be the northern, would be the uh, representatives of the northern states. And we could run it without regard, wouldn't be adversely affected by the missing 13 Confederate states. Boy, that's... Uh... That's I, I have no evidence to support that hunch, but I've suspected for a long time that might be the place where they said, we'll run this thing as a corporation, that's all. And the public won't know. We'll still be able to fight the war and proceed. We can ignore the Constitution, and we can ignore the fact that the southern states are missing from Congress, and nothing's going to matter to us. Well, you know, that makes a lot of sense because I've <laughs> often said that, you know, I believe, you know, because everybody tries to pick where, where did everything go bad. You know, I mean, I've, I don't know, gosh, how many hundreds of conversations I've had with people, you know, where, well, they've got their, you know, idea where everything went bad. And I've got my idea. And my idea has always been the Civil War. Yeah, or, or, you know, yeah. and I even go back further and say, no, it was the Constitution. When they got rid of the uh you know the uh, Articles of Confederation, or they didn't really get rid of it. Get but rid when, of them. Well, no, they just but when they, them. yeah, That's yeah, they supplanted. They amended them effectively. Yeah, they That's did. What, they, the they, Constitution says in the preamble, in order to form a more perfect union. And that's what was created by the Articles of Confederation. They're admitting that the Constitution is merely a kind of amendment, yeah, an appendix on the Articles of Confederation and the Union, the perpetual union. That's the great thing about it. It was declared to be perpetual, which means you can't get rid of it. Well, it wasn't a great thing for union the Union is still here if you know how to use it and apply it. It wasn't a great thing for the southern states because that's one of the things the North used as, hey, I agree. You know, this is perpetual. You can't leave. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and they 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 thought that was great to look, to push the South around back in the day, but now there are people in government who say, you know, we'd really like to get rid of that perpetual union because yeah. it it impedes our ability to treat the people like a bunch of dumb animals and subjects. Yeah, and I I you know I read the uh, uh, I've actually read all of the uh, anti-federalist papers and about half of the federalist papers and. Man, those guys, I mean, the guys who wrote the Anti-Federalist Papers, uh, the problems they describe, I mean, you could look in the news and see them today's today. News. Yeah, today's yeah. news and say, well, there it is. There's Anti-Federalist number whatever. There's Anti-Federalist number whatever, the other one. And, and these guys, man, these were people who had some foresight. I know. Say no, man. You know you're you're making a mistake here. This is not going to be a good deal, and uh, it, you know it's turned out it hasn't been. Well, it's one of those things where it could have been. Yeah. I mean, there are flaws. The documents aren't perfect. That's one of the points. Well, and the people, the, you There's know, the people the aren't perfect. There's the problem, <laughs> and know, they're not interested in being perfect. No, and you know, hey, communism right? on paper works great. 
say everybody's you know everybody benefits everybody contributes we're all one big happy hive and you know it all go it's just great on paper but then you add people to it and well you know things yeah that's where it starts that's where the system starts to break down yeah. all of this this these are the kinds of problems that will be eliminated however once they start to replace the living people with robots yes and i think they i, I think they're thinking of that they're going to be able to bring those robots in here and they'll do as they're told they won't give us any guff and uh do their jobs they won't expect much and little electricity, a little grease and oil, and they'll be fine. I'm it's wondering okay. if it wouldn't be a bad idea to replace all the elected officials with robots. Well, they'll come to that. How much worse? But first, they will replace us, and then after they've replaced us, our replacements will replace them. And the, the people in Congress will say, my gosh, where did we go wrong? How could this be? <laughs> Yeah, where did we go wrong? Well, then we're back to the whole, well, back at the Civil War, the Constitution, way, way back you went wrong. You know, I was I visited the Lincoln Memorial about 10 years ago. I uh, went to Washington, D.C., and I saw the Jefferson Memorial for the first time in the Lincoln Memorial. I was actually there once or twice before, but I never really paid attention. You understand, you go out there and, you don't have brains enough to look at anything other than the building of yeah. the statues. All right? You don't read the text. It doesn't mean anything to you. But it did mean something to me when I when last time I was there. And I was reading part of the text that's chiseled into the stone blocks that make up the Lincoln Memorial. And it was an excerpt from a letter. I believe it was from a letter written by Lincoln about 1863, if I recall correctly. I can't recall the, the text clearly, but I can recall what the text implied. And it was, Lincoln was saying, it was, they start this, this war, they start the Civil War, and it'd be over in 90 or 180 days. This was just going to be a push and shove contest, and we would quickly resolve it. No one imagined that it was going to turn into the catastrophe that ultimately, you know, took place. But Lincoln was writing in this letter from 1863, chiseled an excerpt on the wall in the Lincoln Memorial. And what he was simply saying to whoever he was writing to was that he had no idea how important the slavery issue was until they began to see how much carnage was being caused for this country. And he didn't get it until about 1863. And he came to where he, he at least implicitly said that he began to recognize that slavery itself had brought a kind of curse on this country. And it was God's will that we were into this incredible, intractable battle and killed more people than we have in all other wars put together. More Americans. Right? At a time when the population was a fraction of what it is now. It was a terrible, devastating... I mean, I think it was something like one person in Ted died. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's that many or not, but you might know better than I do. No, I don't I don't know the numbers, but I do I do know the, uh, the statistic that, you know, it's still to this day... Uh, more Americans died in that war than any other war. And, All you know, you know yep. people say, well, yeah, but that was Americans against Americans. And that's true, but no. still. I know, which makes it just just horrific. But they were using muskets and stuff, too. You know, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> you know, uh, if, that, um, if that was today, if this happened today, 
if the, those guys back then had the weaponry we had today, they everyone would have probably been killed. Well, it might be. Because they probably would have nuked each other. You know, there was a lot of uh, bad blood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, here's my point, though. The point to the inscription carved into the wall, one of them, there are several, but the point to the inscription carved into the wall is that Lincoln didn't start this war to free the slaves. Mm -hmm. He didn't begin to appreciate that maybe slavery was the issue, that it inspired a kind of divine wrath until he was about three years into the war. And then they said, then he began to realize maybe this is the issue that has to be solved to get out of this damn thing. We've got to do something about slavery, but it didn't start on the account of slavery. I've said this before. You know, the idea that a bunch of white people got together and killed each other to protect a bunch of blacks is every bit as stupid as the idea of a, uh, the Bloods fighting and killing the Crips in order to protect some white girls that are strolling through the south side of Chicago. Yeah. Ain't happening. You understand? They might fight and kill each other in order to see who gets to keep those girls and enslave them, but you're not going to find a bunch of blacks killing a bunch of blacks in order to protect some whites. And likewise, particularly at that day and time, you're not going to find white people killing each other in, in, in terms of at least hundreds of thousands and millions probably injured. Well, you know, to protect the blacks. One thing that I look about it is that they didn't have anywhere near the kind of communication capabilities we have or the, the, the dissemination of news. So to have that level of, of just real hatred, I mean, because these guys got up out of their houses, they left their families, and they went, uh, basically both sides, went on a killing spree. Yep. And you got to wonder, well, Wait a minute now. Most of these guys were not rich slave owners. I mean, you know, these these the, you know, the rich boys never are the ones that go to the wars. Oh, they may have, but again, I remember seeing in Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. Right, where we've got Tara the mansion and all the rich folk and the rest of that sort of thing. And we've got these young rich boys that are going to saddle up and go fight the war for, you know, a couple of months. They thought that's all it would last and it would be a wonderful adventure, and maybe they'd get a scar on their cheek from somebody's lance that they could bear proudly for the rest of their lives. They thought this was just going to be a little, you know, an adventure, and it's just the nature of young men to believe that. Mm-hmm. You know, they think they're invulnerable, and but they marched off thinking, and they, they tell you expressly in, in that, uh, you know, uh, gone with the wind. They never thought this was going to last like it did. Um, nobody imagined that. You'd have to be crazy, crazy. Right. Get into the war. Both sides They'd have to be out of their minds. If they had any idea of what was coming, they had to be crazy to get into it. And they didn't. They thought, eh, this will be over in no time at all. Well, I'm wondering, though, there must have been, uh, but to continue on and keep just, you know, as, you know, you got to see this isn't going so good. And uh... Yeah, but you can't quit. It's one of those kinds of deals where you can't quit. I mean, if if Lincoln had suddenly said, look, this is crazy. If you Confederates want to go your own way, get out of here. We never liked you that much anyway. He could have said that. Yeah, he could have. He wanted to, figuratively speaking. But what would the North have said to him in the next election? Maybe they'd have shot him. Oh, wait. 
oh, wait, they already shot him. You know, yeah, how much worse the, could it have went for him? It wasn't the North that shot him. See, that was the difference. The South had the good sense to wait until after the war was over, and then they shot him. Actually, some people say it was a big mistake. Lincoln might actually have been far more kind to the South than his replacements. Well, I think he would have been, and that was a, you know, a thing that is like... Uh, and, and it wasn't really even the next president, which I think, what, Johnson? Johnson? Yeah, it was Andrew Johnson, if I recall correctly. He was Lincoln's vice president, and he took over. And he was actually, I've seen reports, he was a good guy, tried to do the right thing, but the Congress yep. was bound and determined. They the Congress would. and the Senate was bound and determined. They would have their pound of flesh. Yep, they wouldn't have right. any of it at all. And, it would have, and they weren't particularly if it had blood, bone, eyes, or anything else in it. They were going to have at least a pound of flesh. And uh, Johnson tried to be reasonable, and they just run him off. Well, and I think it's you know I I think things are more were more alike then than we might realize because I think the Senate and the, and the House basically had this this just revenge attitude. I think it was less revenge and more, hey, we've got to let our benefactors profit. They paid for this war, and now they want what they want, and we've got to give it to them. And that's what ended up happening, because Reconstruction was nothing but, you know, let's open it up to Northerners to go down there and start buying everything for pennies on the dollar. And that's I don't know that did. that applied to Reconstruction, per se, the Reconstruction laws. I mean, I'm not sure that the Reconstruction laws put them under a military dictatorship, in my understanding of it. And, you know, they were vulnerable, but that would have happened. You, you get done with a war when you're defeated. And you can expect the investors to swarm in from around the world trying to buy stuff at a fraction of, you know, for a penny on the dollar because they know people are desperate and they'll come in and try to take advantage of that oh, desperation. Sure. But, you know, I mean, here, here you have, again, wanting it both ways because we have a Congress that was all talking about, oh, we're all one nation. Oh, you know, this is a civil mm -hmm. war. Oh, this and that and the other thing. And then when they win... Now you've got to be punished as though you were some heinous enemy from some foreign land, yeah. and uh, we're going to rob and rape and steal and pillage. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just, uh, <laughs> it was just disingenuous. And, and I've read those things about Johnson, too. I mean, he, he pleaded with Congress to, look, let's, let's, okay, we did this, it's over, let's try to heal this. And they wouldn't have any part of it. It was no. Yeah, I know. They're going to have to pay. It's always like that. You know, they talk about, you know, we're lucky, really, that the settlement they made after the Civil War didn't lay the foundation for a second Civil War. They say routinely the seeds of the next war are laid in the, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the peace agreement of the, of the previous war. We could have had a second Civil War in this country. Yeah, uh, we didn't. Um, whatever happened there was not sufficiently unjust or hard to say how it all worked out. But it was a little amazing that the things did heal back together in some well, regard. It really did uh, decimate the uh, southern male population and then oh, yeah. infest it with northern carpetbaggers, basically. So they, they changed the demographics and the attitude of the population, the male right. population. To some degree, but a friend of mine and my, a friend of mine and I hitched, hitchhiked from Illinois down into Mexico 
back when we were 18 years old. And on the way down, we got a ride from a couple of guys in Alabama. And these two guys are sitting there in the front seat, and they're talking about the war. Now, I'm just a kid, and I'm trying to follow what's going on. All right? And I, and I finally said, what war are you talking about? World War II or the Korean War? Or what? And We're not driving into a war, are we? Yeah, the war, boy, the Civil War. <laughs> All right? And he wasn't, he wasn't joking. And I thought to myself, holy cow. I thought the Civil War had ended 100 years ago. But it was still alive and well, and this would be back about, that would be back 1964. Mm -hmm. right? And it was in a lot of people's minds, and to some extent it still is. I mean, there are, the North has forgotten it. The, the Civil War is just history. It's not history for the North. But there are elements of the South that still, this is an issue that burns, all right? And it's one of those things where there's an ancient resentment there. Well, yeah. It's not predominant. It's not overwhelming. But push comes to shove. You know, it's the sort of thing where if they had their way, well, you know, and to a, changes. to a certain extent, you live in a state that I think has that same resentment, but not so much over the Civil War, but, you know, because Texas, you know, might have sided with the South, but they were always kind of independent. Like, look, we're only siding with them because you're against the Yankees. Yeah, you know, we don't really care what you're doing. We just don't like them, you know, and, and uh, you know, and I think Texas has probably more of an independent, you know what, anything goes wrong and we're out of here. Because I, I think Texas is, is really, and you know, and you you brought up that story about the Texas Gold Reserve. I mean, little yeah. things like that say to me, are you preparing to go your own way here? I don't think it's their intention, but I think there are people in positions of power. They're not talking about it in public. They're not saying this is our intention, but they are. Greasing the hinges on the door where, just in case, yeah. just in case we got to get out of here, we'll be able to make the transition. And there are strange things about Texas. And one of which is that there are three power grids in the continental United States, and one is for the eastern United States, and the other one is for the western United States, and the third one is Texas. <laughs> Texas is the only state that has its own power grid. It could go its own way. And just cut off the connections to Oklahoma and Arkansas and Louisiana and the rest of that sort of thing. And it could be on its own, energy independent, all right, economy strong. Texas could make it. All right? right now, I think we'd be something like the 11th largest economy in the world, if I understand correctly. Maybe the 17th, but I believe it's 11th. I looked it up in the last couple of weeks, and I think I saw 11th, but I'm not sure. We would be smaller than Canada. We would be just behind Canada in terms of the, the, G, the gross domestic product. And there are people, you know, most of the, there's, there's, there's an interesting thing about, about the states in this country. Thirteen of the states, the first 13 states were states of the Union as it was created. All the rest of the states entered, joined to become part of 
the United States, maybe the United States of America, but they started from the status of territories mm -hmm. to become states. So far as I know, the only state that joined the original 13 as an independent state, an independent country, was Texas. There are 14 that came into the United States of America. Ultimately, they started as independent states, independent nations. And Texas is one of the 14. And the rest of the states, all the rest of them, started as territories before they, of the United States before they came states, became states of the Union, if they were states of the Union. I assume they were. Well, but, you, you know, know, there's some question about, well, you know, uh, it depends whether you came into the Union before or after the Civil War. I mean, I've heard that. And, you know, and that goes along with what you said. Now, because if they did create a corporation and say, you know, we don't really need these states and we don't really need a quorum and we don't really need to go along. We'll just create this corporation. We can do what we want and just keep up the appearance that, oh, no, 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 everything's the same. Uh, uh, you know, and... That kind of, if that's true, then that argument about, well, there's a difference between the states that came in after the Civil War and before the Civil War. Well, you know, one of the things that I saw a book years ago, it was called The Freedom Amendment, written by two congressmen whose names I don't remember. I saw it back in the 60s. I saw it back, I don't know, around 1965, 68, someplace in there. I don't remember when exactly. But it was in the 60s, written by two congressmen, and it was evidence of all the things the federal government is doing that were unconstitutional, including owning roughly half of all the land west of the Mississippi. Even though the states are supposed to be admitted as states of the Union and they're supposed to own all the land within their borders, the federal government kept half the land. They they own 90, I don't know what it is now, it was like 95% of Alaska, it might be down to 80%, but still the majority of the land that's associated with the state of Alaska is owned by the federal government. Well, And, or and most of California, half of California or thereabouts. And, uh, more and than Oregon. half. More yeah. than half of Oregon. Right? Uh, and there's very little of Nevada that's actually Nevada. Yeah, I understand. I mean, that's Now, this like... would be consistent with what if, because all of the states west of the Mississippi, I, all of them were added, so far as I know, that none of them were part of the United States and or the Union prior to the Civil War. Actually, uh, the state of Oregon was the last state admitted to the Union before hostilities uh, broke out, uh, 18, 1859. Okay. All right, well, that, that kind of defeats the argument, but it's to some degree, at least for the balance, it's, an in, it's at least an interesting idea. Well, yeah, and there's, you've got to wonder how the states really, were those territories, were they territories of the de jure United States or were they territories of the corporate United States? And that's why the corporation could keep half the land. And I'm not sure if... You know, I'm not sure. It's hard for me to believe that Oregon, when it came in in 1859, would have said, yeah, you know, go ahead and keep all that. Because as far as I know, uh, in 1859, was there even such a thing as, you know, uh, national forests? Well, you know what it would have been. I mean... The unfortunate, the sad and unfortunate thing is we look back at documents like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States and the Articles of Confederation, and we assume that everybody back in the day 
They all understood it. And the truth is, I'll bet you there wasn't more than one man in a thousand that understood those documents. Yeah, like today. They were just busy. They were busy catching <laughs> catching beavers yeah. <laughs> or shooting elk or something like that. What do they care about some damn written document? Yep. <laughs> so it, it was a different kind of world. The people who wrote the documents may have understood what they meant. And the rest of them in Oregon, if they could pan for gold, would they care? Who cares what it says as long as they can pan for gold? Well, that's true. That's true. And it's not much different today. You know, instead of panning for gold and hunting beavers and doing the things uh, required to, you know, stay alive, now people are, you know, going to bars, going to movies, going to sporting events, uh, but they still don't really know. Get playing the video games. Yeah, and they, but they still wouldn't, you know, hey, read this. What's this mean to you? <laughs> yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> means if I waste my time reading this, I'll miss Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, whereas in the back in the old days, they might say, I ain't got time for that. I got I got to go beaver hunting or I got gold to go get, you know, but they still wouldn't read it. I think a higher percentage of people would have read it. I don't mean I, I don't think for a minute that half the people understood them. Mm-hmm. It might have been possible that five or 10 percent understood what the documents said meant that could be. Um, today, it wouldn't be that. In my opinion, it might be 1% if you were lucky. I think it's a smaller percentage today than it was then, but even then, it was nowhere near a majority. And I only say that because I know that back in the day, if you were going to teach people to read, you taught they learned out of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, that was fundamental point. Or law books. People didn't have other things to read. If they were inclined to read they would almost inevitably read a copy of the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence because it's the only thing they could, it's some of the few documents that they could find that they can read and consider, and therefore they might know more. But it is simply to all of our shame and great loss that, you know, we are ignorant. And we've spent, I've spent most of my life ignorant. Well, uh, you know, this is... Last 30 years. This has been one of my real big gripes, is the reading thing. Because, all right, back in the day, if you could read, you could probably you probably would be able to understand the document. Although mm-hmm. uh, a fewer amount of people in the population would say, "Yeah, I know how to read." You know, some people just didn't know. Well, I don't know how to read. You know, yeah. and, and of course What's they're not going to. What's that gonna got get... to do with catching beavers? You right. ever see a <laughs> could read. Well, but gonna... now. Almost everybody runs around going, sure, I can read, sure, I can read, okay, read this. And they don't understand a word they're reading because of the way they're being taught to read. Yeah, they can't really read. They can't comprehend. They can yeah. read words out loud, and it, and it, ooh, look, you can read. Oh, yeah, hey, yeah, look, you said all those words. But yeah. those words don't mean anything to them because they don't know what they mean. They can't put them together because of the way they're taught to read anymore is, okay, skip over all the words you don't know, fill it in with what the ones you do know, and, yeah, okay, that might be a good <laughs> quick fix to get through Turn something. around three times counterclockwise and <laughs> yeah. tap head three times and, ta-da! You can so read, on. yeah. yeah you know, and that, genius, but, here. You know, the, to college. The thing is now, okay, so now you have a population of people that appear to know how to read. Because, yeah, well, well, let it's me not just that you. they appear in the sense that they appear to you and me to know how to read. Well, they think they can read. They too. appear to themselves to know how to read. 
Yeah. All right? And there's the problem. People don't realize you have to, it is, it's a kind of extraordinary step, that first step to realize how dumb you really are before you actually can get to a point where maybe you, maybe you start to wake up and you start to, to generate some insight and, and perception. But first order of business is you've got to get away from the ideas, oh, yeah, I'm confident. <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, right. Get my yellow jumpsuit ready. I understand. <laughs> it's orange, not yellow. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I think so. Anyway, I don't know what they've got. I don't know, it's been a long time since I had to wear one, but <laughs> well, maybe you get older and your color vision yeah. is a little bit messed up. My too. memory of colors is good. Yeah, yeah, I understand. <laughs> well, let's get back to this business about civil war, and we're reading from an article that was that's entitled Seven Things About the the Seven. Seven things you didn't know about the Civil War. Let's take these things one at a time. Here's one. The slave states of Maryland, Missouri, Delaware, Kentucky, as well as the District of Columbia, uh, fought for the North. That's one, two, three, four states in the District of Columbia fought. They were slave states, and the District of Columbia was slave, according to this. They fought for the North. Yeah. Which is simply more evidence that this whole thing was not started on the basis of slavery. In retrospect, they said, oh, my God, how are we going to explain all these dead bodies? And they said, I know. We'll see. We're fighting to free the slaves. That sounds noble. Yeah, That's an excuse, isn't it? They'll go for that. Yeah, maybe that'll get mom to send some more kids down here to be slaughtered, you know, because uh, they're, you know, maybe they won't rise up and kill us. Yeah, because by the time they came up with the whole, uh, it's to free the slaves thing, uh-huh. there were piles of dead bodies, and there were probably a lot of mothers out there going, you know, uh, is this really a good idea? Yeah. What are we doing this for? Oh. Yeah, it was a terrible situation, really. And I don't know, but it didn't start out that way. That became the pretext after the fact. But it was not the cause. It was, and it's irrational to suppose it could have been because, like I said, we're arguing that two groups of white people fought to incredible levels of death to free some black slaves. You know, and and it's irrational. It's inconceivable to suppose that that that's what actually happened. And the economic reality of slavery was that at best it might have had 20 years left because it was dying it was a, it was it was not working and you know it was starting not to work it wasn't going to work anymore and they they realized this because okay look at where we're at what's the major cost of any business is labor yeah well this is and this is labor that you just Give, you know, here's a piece of paper for your pay. Now go get your own food, go get your own house, go get your own everything. Just think if you had to say, well, hey, uh, okay, uh, now I got to give you the house, I got to give you the clothes, I got to give you the medical care, I got to give you everything. Man, your costs just skyrocketed. You know, it wasn't going to be able to be sustainable on, not in the same way, you know, and I believe we have, you know, I'm sure you've heard the phrase wage slave. Hmm. You know, and I think that's what we have. We just have a modernized version of slavery. Uh, you know, and it's more effective because the corporations only have to give you a, hey, here's your fiat monopoly money, now beat it. We don't have to yeah, give you Yeah, but it's not entirely true. You can look at that, but the truth of the matter is, 
you know, you can go off like uh, Bill Gates or some of these other kids that are fooling around with computer. Uh, the guy who invented Facebook, for example, I don't even know his name. Billionaire now and the rest of that sort of thing. Those options would never be there for slaves. No. They are there for us. It may be that you're being exploited by the way the system is put together right now, and it's hard to make a decent wage, but you can quit the job. You can go find another job or try to. You can set up a little shop in your own garage and see if you can make something that the world might want to buy. Slaves couldn't have done that. Well, now, you might be thinking back in the day, because now most Americans, they can't quit their job. I get that. You know, but not they, only that, it, I mean, it's not, and it's not just the thing that my paycheck's going to stop and I won't pay my rent. It's that, man, I've got twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 in debt here. That's the problem. That's what puts you into something like a slavery position. Why can't you quit your job? I can quit my job, but I don't own a mortgage. Right. Right? I'm not making a car payment. Truth of the matter is, <laughs> I can tighten my belt and I can get along on next to nothing. And that being the case, that gives me a great deal of independence. Yep. <laughs> it doesn't provide for many girlfriends. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got a bunch of independence. Other people, they've got that mortgage chasing them down the road. They've got the loan that they, for the money that they borrowed to go to college or law school. All right? And they're caught in a bind where if yep. they want to continue, they had better just keep on running, running, running to pay that debt, pay that debt, pay that debt. That's where you get caught. Yep. And if you want to be free, first order of business is don't buy anything that you can't pay for. If you've got to borrow money, leave it alone. All right? Save the money if you want. Save it. You know, it's not a bad idea to take a house at least... Traditionally, I don't know that the math works out the same way right now. When you took out a, com a conventional loan back 10 years ago or more, when uh, you could expect to pay, if it's a 30-year mortgage, you could expect to pay three times the price of the house before you're done. Right. Including interest rates. How fast could you save the price of that house if you wanted to tighten your belt? You um, could get the house ultimately for a third if you were willing to save your money. Yeah, I think it was like seven years. You, then you can coast. I got the house. How much was your house payment? Don't I have a house payment? I bought it free and clear. You bought it free and clear. You don't have a house payment. Yeah. I mean, it's a big step toward being a free man is staying away from debt. Well, it is. And, you know, the thing, the bad thing, I, you know, one of my, you know, the other thing is, Property tax is just like a, a knife in your side, you know, it, when you do actually, you know, save up and, and buy a piece of land and build your own stuff on it. And you go, well, here it is. I'm living here and I don't owe anything to anybody about it. Oh, but here comes your property tax, you know, and you're like living the dream. Huh? Son of a, you know, you just want to go down there and, and have a talk with somebody, <laughs> you know. Oh, it kills. Simple conversation. That's all. Yes, very simple and short. A very that. short conversation. I think there's a lot of people in this world who are aching for an opportunity. <laughs> I think I'd like to have a civil conversation with that SOB. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Maybe we'll talk in the daylight. Maybe we'll talk in the dark. Yep. I haven't made up my mind. But <laughs> civil conversation for sure. Yep. And short. Real short. <laughs> 
Yeah. Let's take another look. Here's the uh, here's another comment. Uh, again, this list is put together by another source. We're reading it. We did the first one, talked about several states that were uh, slave states who fought for the North. Uh, item number two of the seven points that you might be surprised to learn about the Civil War. They claim that two years after the Emancipation Proclamation was made in 1863, the Union states of Delaware and Kentucky continued to have slavery until the 13th Amendment was passed that abolished slavery. The Emancipation Proclamation only freed Confederate slaves. It was Lincoln's punishment for them, but it didn't, meaning the South, but it didn't affect the slaves that remained in Union control, including New Orleans, Tennessee, Norfolk, Virginia, which were under the control of Union armies. All right? So this is just another one of those items that tells us slavery wasn't really the issue. Here's the third one. A year into the war, and incidentally, the Emancipation Proclamation of 1863, my recollection of the text I read on the Lincoln Memorial that I tried to describe, I can't remember the exact language, but that was also from 1863, if I recall correctly, and it indicated that it was about then that Lincoln began to think, oh my gosh, this is something like God's curse for slavery. That's what's going on here. And that is to some degree consistent with the idea that in 1863, same year, he said, okay, we're going to emancipate the slaves. Try to get God's curse off my back, for God's sake. You know? Mm -hmm. So a little little consistency there. It's not proof that there's a correlation, but there's consistency. Here's an item number three. A year into the war, President Lincoln wrote a letter to the New York Tribune stating, quote, if I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save... Again, a year into the war, not 1863, this is 1861, 1862. If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. Now, their comment is not exactly a civil rights leader. His point was he was going to save the Union. The slaves were incidental. The issue of slavery was incidental to trying to preserve the Union. Lincoln opposed interracial marriages, supported the Illinois Constitution's prohibition on immigration of blacks into the state, defended a slave owner who was seeking to retrieve his runaway slaves, but never defended slaves or runaways themselves. And there speaking, Lincoln was an attorney. Right. And he was a lifelong advocate of colonization of sending every last black person in the United States back to Africa, Haiti, or Central America, anywhere but in the United States. Again, you know, the Civil War was not about freeing the slaves. Well, and, and if, if Lincoln did have an idea that, you know, this has gone way wrong, this is like biblical wrong, yeah, right. uh, maybe this is a curse, uh, it would stand a reason again that he, you know what, you're free now. Get out. Yep. Get out. Go somewhere else. You know, I don't even want you around here, just in case. You know, that was it. You know, and it make it goes along with that same line of thinking that you know, hey, if he thought it was a curse from God, then yep. he would want them out. You're free. Well, he, and get he out. didn't know what he didn't know what to do with them, but they wanted they had to get rid of that institution of slavery, or at least Lincoln began to believe this was, you know, God, God's wrath on his nation for the for imposing slavery. And one thing that this shows me about Lincoln is one of the things that I 
I, I don't like about Lincoln, and and that I don't like the attitude that today's politicians share with Lincoln, which is, oh, good golly, the most important thing in the whole universe is to preserve the government. And that's what he's talking about. He calls it the union. What it is is the government. Because, you know, he could have just as well said, okay, look, you want to go, go. Yeah, right. Uh, we'll be the union. You'll be the confederacy. Uh, after a while, we'll get over it. We'll probably trade together. And, you know, it'll, it'll all work out fine. Go if you want. But he didn't. The main thing is this government has to survive attitude. And it really bugs me because the government doesn't have to survive. No, I know. And it's not only that the government gives us, they, they have this attitude, the government must, must survive no matter what. I mean, Barack, he's made statements to the effect that you didn't build your own business, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's at least implying that we owe our success or our prosperity to the government, which is a bunch of crap. I mean, the principal enemy of the people of the United States of America is the government of the United States. And that's not radical talk. The pre principal enemy of the people of Germany is the government of Germany. Principal enemy of the people of Russia, Russian government. Principal enemy of the people of China. Every one of these governments, oh, look over there, look over there, look at all the evil bastards <laughs> who are across the border. Yep. Look who's taking your tax money. Look who is taking your property. It's not the evil SOBs across the border. Yeah, look whose jail you're in. It's the people you're voting for. Founding fathers understood this, which is why they gave us a constitution with three different branches of government. They had separation of powers, checks and balances, right to keep and bear arms, freedom of political speech, freedom of the press. It was all designed, elections every two years, it was all designed to protect us from the government. The Constitution is originally an anti-government document. Yeah, it is. It's a limiting thing, and it doesn't That's give right. anybody any rights. Uh, it just limits the government and says, "Look, this is part of your deal. You have to, you know, you have to protect these rights. You don't. You're not giving anybody any rights. You're That's protecting right. these rights, and that's supposed to be their job. And they failed. Miserably. And not only that." I look at the Constitution. I believe the Constitution, I believe the state Constitution, Texas, is a trust. I have no doubt about that. Just because Article 1, Section 2 of the Constitution of the state of Texas says this Constitution is established by the people, yada, yada, I can't remember exactly, and for their benefit, it tells me that the people of Texas are supposed to be beneficiaries of the Constitution. It tells me that the state Constitution is a trust indenture. Yeah. And it can't be a contract because there's no living man or woman who's signatory to the Texas Constitution. It can't be a contract. Nobody signed it. All right? I'm not bound, but I could be bound by a trust. And that's what I believe it is. And I infer from that that the Constitution of the United States was the same thing. Now, it is the same thing. It's a trust instrument. Well, now that you said that, I've got to ask you, for my benefit and everybody else's, if it is a trust, and let's just go on that assumption that it is, because it can't be a contract, yep. but it is something. So, hmm. you know, let's say it's a trust, and you say that, well, and I can be bound by that, How? How do you go about that? It's I mean, a big leap, but you can bind people. There is such a thing. There are implied trust relationships that we that are recognized in the law right now. 
And this is an express charitable trust. And if you take any benefits, you're going to be presumed. It is presumed the people agreed we would be the granters. We would grant some of our sovereign powers to the members, to the people who would act as government. They would be the fiduciaries or trustees. We would give them certain limited powers to act on our behalf. And we would be the beneficiaries. We were, the, we were essentially the sovereigns under the Constitution. We were the beneficiaries. The members of government were to be our fiduciaries, our trustees. They were supposed to be our public servants. And they said, to hell with that. We don't want to serve all these morons. We want to rule. And they've been working ever since the Constitution was adapted, just whittle away, whittle away, in order to gain more power for themselves and move us deeper and deeper into the status of subject and perhaps and ultimately even animal. Yeah, I know. It's been a contest between the trustees, the original trustees, and the original beneficiaries, and the beneficiaries were dumb. We were the land of the free, and there was some, there's, a, there's a problem with that. We were free because the government guaranteed to look after our rights, even if we didn't know what those rights were. Declaration of Independence says uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All, all, all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the third sentence says that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent from the consent of the government. They're saying that the purpose of government was to secure your God-given unalienable rights to you, even if you were too dumb to know what they were, even if you were too lazy to know what they were. And the result is the land of the free. And the land of the free became the land of the dummies. And the government began to realize, you know, these idiots don't know what's going on here. Well, and, and, you know, like you said, it, it's been that way from the beginning. The majority of the population has never known what's going on. And, yeah. you know, the only difference is, I guess there was enough people with some morals in government that said, look, even though they're stupid and they don't know what's going on, you know, we got to kind of look out after them. Uh, now they've gotten to the point where it's like, well, they're stupid and they don't know what's going on, so let's take advantage of them. Let's and not only are they stupid and they don't know what's going on, they are so stupid that they couldn't know what's going on, so there's no point to telling them. Yeah, we've seen to We're that. We're dealing with a bunch of morons and a bunch of children, and we'll just pat them on the little head as long as they don't get too uppity. If they get too uppity, we'll give them a timeout and a slammer. If they're not too uppity, we'll let them hold down a job where they can keep them generating money for the government corporation. But we don't have to explain anything to them. Just get them to trust us. As mm-hmm. long as they trust us, they have full faith and credit in the government of the United States. As long as that's true, they're good to go. Yeah, it's a sad thing. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been like that ever since time began. Well, it has. And, and what's really sad, though, is here we are, and we've been under the illusion of, oh, boy, you know, everybody has to go to public school because, uh, well, you've got to get educated, and that, you know, everybody knows that. Okay, great. And, and there's nothing but propaganda, and all right, so we have that. But then here up pops the Internet. Yeah. And, you know, the Internet really, I, 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 I've referred to another as like, you know, it's like having uh, the best library in the world on your desk. Yeah. And it just, and a lot of people do take advantage of it, and I realize that, but not a majority. 
a majority of people are playing games and doing email and being on Fed, Fedbook saying, oh, look, look what I had for dinner. Uh, and, you know, that's all fun and stuff, but, you know, they could... I, the the opportunity themselves. to know what's going on and understand yeah. it is there, and they're not taking advantage of it. Well, some people do, but well, sure. I won't say it, but it certainly not, doesn't appear it's to not be a majority. majority. No, I don't no. think so. I go down a it's Walmart. It's an improvement. I mean, on the eighth day, God invented the Internet. Right. <laughs> you know. Great blessing. I go down you know, to Walmart. I, you know, I go into Walmart from time to time, and I, I can tell you, it's not the majority. All right? Yeah, I know. It's it's really not, and it's well, sad because it's there. It's there. I understand that, and it is interesting because in end times, there's verse in the Bible, and I can't quote it precisely or tell where it is, but I know it's there. It says in end times there will be oh knowledge will be increased. Knowledge will be increased. That's right. Yep. I think what the you know in retrospect, or at least based on what we're saying now, they're essentially saying that access. <laughs> the knowledge will be increased, but that doesn't mean you can lead the dummies to a computer, but you can't make them read. Right? Catch my drift, you know? Yeah. Oh, there's plenty of information available if you care to read it, but if you don't want to, then what? Well, I think it's time we take a break, isn't it, Frank? Right, yep. All right. We'll be back for the second hour in a couple of minutes. Please stay tuned. I'm Alfred Addis with Frank Stefan on the American Independence Hour. We'll be right back.
send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com. Or simply call 316-619-4886. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it. Nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Here with Frank Stefan on the American Independence Hour. And we've been talking about seven things you probably didn't know about the Civil War. And number four, most white Southern families had no slaves, which means most white soldiers from the South had no slaves. And they didn't have slaves like some Northern Army soldiers who were from the states of Delaware, Maryland, Missouri, and Kentucky. According to the census, the entire United States, with 27 million people, about 1.4% were slave owners. Um, well, the point is, most of the people who fought for the Confederacy didn't own slaves. It wasn't clear that they had an interest in protecting the institution of slavery. They probably wanted to because they didn't want to turn the slaves loose. I can understand that, but their their interest was not economic in terms of having economic interest in the slaves. Um, in fact, if they understood anything about economics, they'd probably be against slavery because slavery allowed the plantation owners or whoever to have dirt cheap labor, which meant the white labor was similarly, if you wanted to compete with blacks, you had to work for almost nothing. Without slavery, the white workers would probably have made more money. Let's just tell you, here's a fifth one. Here's something you won't learn in Black History Month. 
there were over 3,000 black slave owners who lived in the South. According to the U.S. Census, South Carolina in 1830, about a fourth of the Negro slave masters owned 10 or more slaves. Everybody wants to frame this thing, not everybody. People in the black community, radicals in the black community, want, oh, the problem of slavery and the rest of that sort of thing. And whites, oh, whites who have never, you and I, white people, who've never had slaves, are supposed to be liable to today's blacks who've never been slaves for the crime of slavery that's, that, that, was, that was outlawed 140 years ago. Why am I liable? Why am I supposed to be guilty? It's because of the color of my skin. Because, and the argument is we're going to end racism by using affirmative action, which is racism against whites. We're going to end racism by holding white whites racially accountable for crimes they didn't commit. There are no white people in this country who've had any slaves to speak of. (laughs) <laughs> unless you wanted to talk unless you wanted to talk about wives in the context of marriage <laughs> under modern divorce court you could talk about that maybe but well that's for another program we're not going to do that one tonight now in the constitution isn't there a part about there shall be no corruption of blood yeah i think so now isn't meaning a, oh yeah you're exactly affirmative right. action right a corruption right. of blood that's, Exactly right. And what we mean by corruption of blood, we mean that the children of someone who's committed offense can be held liable for their father or mother's offense. They're saying, oh, your, your blood is corrupt. Yeah. And therefore you're liable and because your mother or your father committed these offenses. And they're saying, no, that can't be. You can't, can't have corruption of blood in this country. And... You're exactly right. I think it's a good argument. I haven't heard it before, but um, you're right. Uh, the idea of affirmative action is the is the idea that whites should be held responsible for whatever offenses were committed against blacks 140 years ago by whites. Yeah, not even necessarily related to you, you know, just because. You got that white yeah, blood. Just does, yeah. It's convenient, and it's. See, I could sit back right now. I will argue that African Americans need racism. They are dependent on racism. They are dependent on the idea that they can look at me, for example, and say, "Look, you're white. You owe us something. You owe us something." They need that racism, and they, from my perspective, they need it as an excuse for their own failures. Well, and that's that thing is, oh, the reason mom doesn't have a house or dad didn't have a house or we're doing drugs or prostitution or whatever is because the white man be oppressing the brothers and the sisters. And it's just not true. Well, and that becomes a continued pretext for rampant failures within the African-American community. Well, it's an excuse for their behavior. I mean, here they are living in public housing, getting welfare, getting food stamps, getting free medical, getting free everything, and then saying, I have privilege? Wait a minute. You know, I don't have any of these privileges, and they are privileges. What I operate on is I have a right to go out and work, and I have a right to build my life as good as I can with what I can do. I have a right to do that. That's not a privilege. A privilege is sitting there waiting for somebody to come by and feed you. 
You know, and, and that's what's going on. And oh well, why? I mean, when they look in the mirror, and there's white people in the same boat, but it just is a you know, it's a disparity with numbers there. But you know, so it's not just blacks, but it's they have a problem in their community with this. I understand that. And when they look in the mirror, uh, they can't feel all that good about it. So no, there I, has to be an excuse. It's it's your fault, Al. I'll, I'll blame Al. I've heard one, I've read one article where black parents teach their children to hate whites. And the reason is because they argue that the whites have been oppressing mom and dad and they prevented them from having a home or a job or whatever. All right? And rather than admit to the children that, look, the reason we don't have a home or a job or whatever it is that's going on here and we're not living large is because... We don't. We ain't got game. Okay, we can't play in that league, and therefore they say, "Well, we've been oppressed." No, you haven't oppressed. You're not any more oppressed than I am by the fact that I can't play center for the L.A. Lakers. Right now, I'd have a hard time running up and down the court more than once. You know, my vertical leap is probably about six inches. Um, I can I can argue that the reason that whites don't dominate statistically, in the NBA is because blacks have taken over the NBA and they be discriminating against the whites and they're not letting a white boy play basketball. Because it has to be that way or either that or people are going to have to admit that blacks are just better at playing basketball than whites. And anyone who's ready to admit that or even claim that, once you're willing to claim that blacks are better at basketball than whites, then whites can claim that they're better at mathematics than blacks. And I don't mean it's true in either case. It's not true that no black people can do math. It's not true that no white people can play basketball. Larry Bird comes to mind. I gotta be, he's got to be one of the three best to ever play. But we're going to see another Michael Jordan more than likely before we see another Larry Bird. Well, well we already have with uh, LeVon, uh, LeBron, LeBron James, you know. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, yeah, you know, but, hey, everybody's got their strengths and weaknesses, but, and, but, you know what, sadly, everybody's coming up with excuses, too. I mean, you know, everybody's got a reason why, well, it's somebody else's fault, why I'm somehow not, you know, doing something. I agree. Somebody else's fault. It's not my fault. It's not because I've wasted my life watching TV or movies. That's not the reason. It's not because I didn't graduate from college. That's not the reason. It's not because I haven't read a book in the last 20 years. That's not the reason. The reason is somebody be out to get me. That's Well, right. we are all, you know, subject to that kind of thinking. Well, you know, and, and, and that's been going on. You know, okay, so here you are, and, uh, you know, some Mexican moves into the neighborhood, and he's willing to work for half of what you're willing to work for. Yeah. So you lose your job. Is yep. that darn Mexican? Yep. Well, uh, no, not really. I mean, you know, <laughs> that Mexican just said, you know what, I, I can do this for this price. Yeah. I'm taking advantage of a situation. Hey, that is the American way. Well, and one other thing, the Mexican, he's probably got 18 people living in the house with him, which means the mortgage isn't killing him the same way it's killing you. Right, right. 
and he's probably not in debt to the same degree that you are, and he can afford to make he can afford to do things that you that, that white people can't easily afford to do. One other thing, though, I want to business about blaming whitey for the black problems. And a lot of black people think, ha ha ha, whitey is oppressing the brothers and the sisters. And if you look at the difference in income between blacks and whites, you can see that it's substantial. And you can see that it would be easy to make the argument that whites are somehow oppressing blacks, given the presumption that both of them are equal. Uh, but if you Google, you can do this right now, anybody who's listening, you can Google this. And you can say, average income for blacks, Google it, and you'll get a number. The average income for whites, Google it, you'll get another number, and it will be substantially higher. And then try average income for Asians. Google it, and you'll find out that the Asians are the wealthiest group in this country on an average basis. They're making more money than Whitey, which proves what? It's the Asians' fault. Yeah, that's what's happening. It's not the whites that are oppressing the blacks. It's the Asians who are oppressing both the whites and the blacks. That's what's happening. But you can look up another number, and you can find average IQ for blacks is about 85. Average IQ for whites is about 100. Average IQ for Asians is about 105. You know, you wonder Asians why they are on average more intelligent than whites, and they make and they more, make money. more hmm, money than see. whites. Is there a correlation? Hmm. Yeah, there? right. I don't suppose there's a correlation. And whites make have a higher IQ than blacks, and whites make more money. It's not a question of oppression. Right? It's a question of talent and ability. And it's the same kind of thing we see on the basketball court, only in this case, it deals with, you know, the kind of work you can do, the kind of money you can expect to be paid. Well, an IQ of 85, I'm surprised there's not, you know, the majority of police aren't black. Well, there's, there's people, there's white people. Average IQ for whites is about 100. All right? There's plenty of white people that have an IQ of 85 or lower. But the average for blacks... My understanding is 85. Okay. All right? The average. There may be the most intelligent man in the world, maybe a black woman. Could have the highest IQ of anybody. Make Stephen Hawking look like an idiot. Could be. But the average is what I'm talking about. I'm not saying there can't be intelligent people from any race, oh, sure. and there certainly <laughs> is no restriction on having dumb people from any race. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, I mean, even the Chinese, they have dumb people. You know, Japanese, they've got their dummies. But odds are they don't have as Generally, many. Generally, though, they don't elect them president, you know. Uh, like, <laughs> Generally, that's true. They try to resist that. But we've got, you know, we instead of having the instead of having presidential Olympics, we now have a variation on the special Olympics. Yes, yeah, special where we elections. Get, yeah, we got special elections to see. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, hey, speaking of which, you saw the headline. I'm sure they're thinking about recruiting Joe Biden to run for president. Uh, you really have to wonder how bad things have gotten when that happens. I mean, well, I don't know who is who is talking about it. Oh, some, is something where Biden's got a group of his own that are fronting for him and re, and saying he should run. I think there's some people. one of the interesting things about this. Whoever it is, Biden being a Democrat, whoever is for Biden ought to be Democrat. Right. Clearly not for Hillary. Right, and that's where it's coming from. The Democratic Party realizes the you know the trouble that Hillary Clinton is for yeah. for their whole party. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because the Clintons, I don't think, play nice with others. And I don't think it matters if you're a Republican or a Democrat. If you're not a Clinton, then you're not one of them, you know. And, uh, you know, so they're floating this idea out there about Joe Biden. And the thing that's funny is, is I haven't heard anything from Joe Biden in I don't know how long. There was a period of time there where every time he opened his mouth, it was like, is, yeah, this, a, is this a version of, uh, you know, laughing? Or is this, Saturday, yeah, is this Night Saturday Night Live? Is this, this, this is one of the impersonators, isn't it? You know, it? and you start wondering, isn't there anybody in the White House who's just going to walk up and say, Joe, shut up. No, no more talking for you, okay? And I think they did, because I haven't heard anything from him in a I'd long say time. That's too, I'd say that's true. Somebody finally made him understand, you be dumb, white boy. Stop you talking. Need to shut your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Understand? That might be true. But speaking of, here's another dummy, Jeb Bush. He's recently claimed that the Confederate flag is racist, ah. <laughs> which means he can kiss his chances of being winning a Republican nomination in any southern states. That's bye-bye. Oh, man. You know, right? What is he thinking about? I mean, I don't care if he believes it. I think it's a dumb idea to begin with. But... You know, if the Civil War didn't start out based on saving the slaves, then the Confederate flag was not about saving the slaves or protecting slavery. The end of the war, maybe people were fighting about slavery to some extent, and afterwards it became the pretext. Mm. They said, we must have done this for some good reason, and that must be it. But when the war broke out, it wasn't about slavery. Confederate flag didn't stand for slavery per se. I don't doubt that it, I don't doubt, it, it's not accurate to say it didn't stand at all for slavery. Yeah, they weren't slavery, but that's what, not what the war was about. That's not why they were flying that flag. They're trying to keep their own cotton, sell it at the price they could get on the free market. Well, and the thing, right? the thing people don't get about that flag either is that was not the flag of the Confederate States of America. That was the battle flag. And the reason they didn't take their national flag into battle was because it was too similar to the United States flag. I mean, it wasn't, you know, the little stripes, but it was still red, white, and blue. And it had three separate, you know, uh, sections. And and it just wasn't distinguishable enough between the sides. That, That the stars and bars was strictly a battle flag. That was a, you know, it wasn't... Uh, even representative of the national government of the Confederacy. That's something I'd never heard before, and I'm not aware that I was not previously aware that there was a national flag of the Confederacy. And it's something I should have thought of. I should have thought there was. The the individual uh, battle flags probably, I'm guessing that there was a different flag for each of the Confederate states. Would that be true or false? Uh, not that I know of. I mean, their regiments, you know, their military regiments uh-huh. certainly had their own flags. But as far as the uh, uh, separate states of the Confederacy, I don't know that. But I do know that the uh, the uh, Confederacy had, uh, you know, a national flag, and it didn't look anything like the the stars and bars. That was that was a battle flag, and it was distinguishable. I mean, you can tell that from the United States flag. You know, you're not going to mix those two up. And uh, that's why they did it. So it's not, it wasn't even the official flag, you know, the national flag of the Confederacy. You know, so everybody's like, well, you know, it's a, more of a military flag, really. 
Well, I understand. Um, and it's just more tribute to the, I don't know how common and omnipresent ignorance is. We've got people that are ready to have brawls over the Confederate flag. And had, they had one, apparently. I think it was at the South Carolina yeah. uh, <laughs> state capitol. Just here the last day or two, there's some sort of a brawl. I don't know what the details are. <laughs> people don't even know what they're fighting for. You know, they ought to, have a, they ought to make it a law that would be enforced globally. That no one could fight in a war unless they could pass a test where it explained, this is why I'm fighting in this war. And if they don't know why they're fighting, they shouldn't be able to fight. You know, just go home. If you want to fight, read a book. Wow, there's right? the end of all wars, huh? Yeah, I know. That would be, wouldn't work. It's a dumb idea. Um, <laughs> I mean, how are you supposed to have a war that way? I mean, gosh. And even if you did know. Why are you fighting in this war? Well, so the bankers can make more money. And uh, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I, I changed my mind. You know, I mean, geez. So you can go deeper into debt. Well, yeah. There's, the bankers like the idea of you engaging in war because it destroys all sorts of material, which can only be replaced by not only, but primarily be replaced by borrowing more money in order to rebuild whatever was lost. Which means you're going to bust your ass and you're going to work like slaves in order to rebuild, I don't know, your farm, your barn, your, your the building, your industry was located, your factory was located in, your store, whatever. I mean, it puts everybody else and it puts them back in a position where in order to make anything happen, they've got to borrow money, most of them. And that just means more money for the bankers and both sides. They, if they can borrow, if they can lend money to both sides, great. Yeah, that yeah. seems what they always do, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah. I sent you a link, uh, and with uh, it's a it's an easy site. It's got uh, you know pictures and you know pictures. Yeah, you mean it's got pictures. Flag okay. <laughs> in color, even. Good, good. I was, I was. If they uh, if they're not in color, I was hoping I could I could color myself and then <laughs> stay inside the lines, of course. <laughs> You yeah, know. but it shows that, you know, the first Confederate flag looks uh, not like, not so dissimilar than, you know, the uh, the round 13-star American flag, except they didn't use as many red, white, and blue, uh, they yeah, didn't use many red and white stripes, as, but they used red and white stripes, so it was it was similar to the, you know, flag of the United States, which was confusing, so they came up with a a different design later. But. Yeah, it had a white, or excuse me, a blue, I don't remember what they call the blue part of the flag, but it's you've got the, the stars and the blue patch on the flag where we had multiple red and white stripes. And in the, in the American flag, the northern flag, they had three stripes, two red with a white one in the middle. Um, and they had a field, a blue field, up in the upper left-hand corner, and what six, four, six, seven stars in it in a circle. Yeah, it was similar. It was, it was similar enough. So I don't know. You know the whole thing—a great tragedy. Um, and really, it had to be. They 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 began to suspect, or at least some of them did, including Lincoln, that this was God's way of saying enough of this. You know. 
that yeah. slave was wrong. We really did, and it was. We started out with that idea all men are created equal. Right. And endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And that was a great idea. It was an unprecedented idea. And it was the foundation for our liberty and prosperity and a bunch of other things. Well, and there's... And it was... I understand that some black people fought in the American in the American Revolution. They fought against... They fought, you know, with the colonists against, against uh, the English. But once it was over, then people started to think, well, you know, it's a little like... What is it? Uh, animal farm. Yeah. Where all animals are created equal, but some are more equal. Well, and there's and we abandon we... that principle in the Declaration of Independence that we all got our rights from God, and and all know. all of this insanity about the flag and racism and all this really should give way to a little more sense because there is something to be learned here, and I'm sure the government doesn't want this lesson learned because how slavery came about was yeah everything started all men are created equal well how did they get how did well the slaves go... were here before we pop mate before we. Well, yes, but how did they justify that? They justified it by saying, well, they're not really men. Yep. Okay, they're animals. They're they're whatever. They're not men. Mm-hmm. They're three-quarters of a man or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, Two-thirds, I think. And it's the, the, same, it's the same game they're doing now. Yeah. You know, now they're not saying, oh, well, you're three-fifths of a man or whatever. They're just uh, like writing it in the law and saying, oh, yeah, man or other animals, blah, 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 you know, and uh, maybe yeah. you won't notice same that's thing. how you are. Same thing. I think the 14th Amendment, the danger in the 14th Amendment, is that it created a citizenship for blacks, and that was the intent. 13th Amendment freed the slaves. Mm-hmm. All right, and as I've said a eh, time or two before on this program, let me see if I can find the 13th Amendment here and read it. Yeah, well, I'll tell you. Sometimes, sometimes it's annoying to become mature. Ah, it impedes your ability to see at times. Thirteenth Amendment, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. They're talking with the word there in their jurisdiction. The word there is, is plural as opposed to the there means their plural jurisdiction. It references back United States. It tells us they're talking about within the several United States, the states of the Union, no slavery. Okay? That's where slavery is presented. But it says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist. Okay. No more slavery, but we talked about it. I think I've talked about it in the past. Um, they outlawed slavery, but it was the equivalent to outlawing Ford motor vehicles. Okay. I can't drive my Ford anymore. Now what? It's true that I'm not going to drive it. What am I going to do? Just abandon it out on the street? What happens to all these Ford vehicles that we can no longer drive? What happens to slaves? We've outlawed slavery. Now what? Are they all going to go out and get a job as a brain surgeon or something like that? Well, now you've got to get a registration plate and put it on that Ford. Mm-hmm. Now we call them social security numbers now for people. Mm-hmm. Then we get the 14th Amendment says all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. The 14th Amendment began to address the problem that there were a bunch of abandoned slaves running around. 
They'd been freed by the 13th Amendment, but they hadn't been changed in status. They had no citizenship. Right, because citizenship at the time came through the state, and none of the states, not the northern states either, said, oh, hey, you know what, we'll give freed slave citizenship. Mm -hmm. Nobody was lining up for that. You know, which is another indicator that it wasn't about slavery. Well, well the it, northern states would have lined up and said, you know, come on, no home, brothers. You know, we we. Oh, yeah, them. yeah. As if. As if. <laughs> the Congress and the Senate, after the Civil War was over, they'd sit back and say, now we're going to elevate blacks to the same status as whites. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. In your dreams. Yeah. It wasn't going to happen, and I don't think it did happen. Nope. And when they said, oh, 14th Amendment, all persons born or, na- or born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Remember in the 13th Amendment, which was 1865, it referred to their jurisdiction. Right. It says no slavery shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. It's talking about the several United States no slavery, no involuntary servitude. Well, the 14th Amendment is talking about the jurisdiction of the United States, the singular. The 14th Amendment, insofar as they talk about the jurisdiction thereof, they're talking about a single jurisdiction for this United States entity, and they implied that the United States in the 14th Amendment is different from the United States in the, in the 13th. 13th Amendment is the several United States. 14th Amendment is a singular United States. Well, yeah, and this this is more evidence to to back up what you were saying about, hey, you know, when the Congress broke up and they didn't have a quorum to do business. They just I think created- they barely had a quorum, but the way it worked out is they only had a couple of states more than they needed for the quorum. Mm-hmm. And the result was, if any state of the North... If they wanted to get up at it and say, I'm not voting for this bill unless you send uh, 500,000 kegs of moonshine to my, you know, the state of North Carolina or something like that, they could do it. They had extraordinary leverage because there was only one, two, maybe three states more than a quorum. And if anybody wanted to get in the way, if they wanted to be difficult, they, they could not easily act in the North. How could they prosecute the war? It had to give the South a big laugh at the time. <laughs> Man. So most of them sitting there thinking, oh, you know, these guys can't even act without a full quorum, and we're gone. They can't hardly get one. Yeah, exactly. they can't hardly prosecute the war without us. And if they admit we're, if they admit they don't need us, then we're out. They've admitted that we are, we have been able to secede. Yeah, but they were a little uh, slicker than that. We'll just create a corporation over here. Yeah, that's what I think may have happened. I, I have no idea. So. And I think that the... I think the it uh, makes the wording, real good sense. And the wording in the 14th Amendment points to that. They created something. They did something. Yeah, they did something, yeah. They yeah, did they did something, something there. To yeah. say that, okay, we're not there anymore. We're it. You know, yeah. and, and it's like, well, what exactly did you do to do that? Well, I've never heard any explanation from the government about, well, what's where did you go from there to it? Where, where, how did that happen? Well, they, I've never heard any explanation. Uh, you know, not from the government, that's for sure. They just did it and said it and like, oh, nobody will catch this. You know, nobody will get it that we were talking about the states of the union and now we're talking about something else that obviously didn't exist before. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's right. 
I mean, I don't know that whether it existed before the 14th Amendment, but I don't think it existed much before it. I think I, if I had to guess, I'd say there's something buried someplace, probably from about 1862, <laughs> where they realized they couldn't conduct Congress without the South participating, and they'd left. So they said, we've got we to we rig this game. We can't fight the war without some sort of, without, you know, a better way of exerting control. And they were desperate. You know, it's one of these things you can sit back. It's not just a conspiracy. It's not just an act of treason in the sense that people, some people might suppose. You've got people dying all over. And you've got Washington, D.C., which is essentially right on the border with the South. It's vulnerable. You know, if the capital of the United States was up in Maine, <laughs> they wouldn't much care. They wouldn't be so desperate. Ah, we're good. They can't fight their way through all the rest of the states to get all the way up here. The people in Washington had to be desperate, scared to death. I mean, you can imagine how many rumors. Oh, my gosh. General Lee. I just heard a rumor today that General Lee's crossing the Potomac right now. You know, there'd be no end to this kind of stuff. And so they would do crazy things. That's the kind of thing that can drive people nuts. And they do, we put them under enough stress, they do all kinds of stuff. You know, and some of it's smart and some of it's just, in retrospect, just completely stupid. But, you know, we're all capable of that. You put us under enough stress. We're all capable of doing dumb things, and some dumb things were done, and then rather than admit them, they just say, well, we'll just paper over it. And somebody would sit back and say, you know, this is pretty handy. Running this country as a corporation is a lot easier than running it as a republic or something along those lines. Right? It's a lot easier than running it as a, as a trust, as a corporation. Who owns the stock? It's not we the people. Hmm. Yeah. You know, who does the corporation serve? It's not we the people. It's the stockholders, whoever they are, and who are they? We could guess that whatever debt it may be, that whatever debt it may, you know, you can, no evidence. This is pure conjecture. But you could sit back and think to yourself, if you were a banker, an English banker, for example, and the North needed to borrow X number of dollars or pounds to prosecute the war, what are the chances that the banker would say, I tell you what, I'll give you that money provided you give me 51% of the stock or 20% of the stock or some percentage of the stock in your new United States corporation. Well, sure. Now, who does the corporation really represent? We the people or somebody else? Well, it's all speculation. I don't know that any of that's true. I want to emphasize that. But just the same, you know, it's plausible. Yeah, it is. And uh, because if they did create a corporation, they're going to have to have a bank somewhere, a banker somewhere. And, you know, and then history went on and they did. They created the, the uh, United States Bank and the United States uh, Bank, the second United States Bank, which Jackson refused to redo. But. The basic setup of the United States banks are not that much different than the Federal Reserve Bank. Mm -hmm. Now, they call it the Federal Reserve System. That's why we don't have a central bank. 
because it's not a bank. It's a system of banks. And they're all privately owned. So, see, it's not a central bank. Well, yeah, sure, on paper. But the way it operates was the same way that the U.S. banks operated. Very similar. And, you know, that's why Jackson said, no, this is a bad idea. You know, I'm not renewing your charter. This is a bad idea. You're a bunch of thieves. And I think vipers, too. (laughs) You know? know. That must have given him fits. Yeah, and a, and a guy actually, he, and, and he'd made it happen. And you understand, I think we've talked about this at least one other time, or may, maybe on this program, maybe on the one with Melody. I don't remember. But the word okay, <laughs> yeah. the term okay, did, you, did I explain yeah. that to you? <laughs> yeah. That no, was, uh, that was on financial survival. You, you, yeah, okay. That was, that was, that was, that was uh, Andrew Jackson. And old Hickory, and he was president of the United States, and whenever they sent him a paper, a document that he had to look at, he'd mark it okay, (laughs) meaning all correct. He didn't know how to spell all. He didn't know how to spell correct. The guy was that illiterate. And yet, he had brains enough and sufficient knowledge, understanding, insight, blessing, whatever, to run the bankers off must have given them just absolute fits to be defeated by a man like Andy Jackson. Yeah, and they tried to kill him a couple times. force of will and common sense. And he ran them off. And they tried to kill him a couple times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, there was a president that also carried a gun. Huh? See, I'd like to see that again. Mm, Well, you do, kind of. I mean, the there's no telling how many guns are surrounding the President yeah, Obama. Surrounding, but you see, you know, hey, you know, after Reagan and after Kennedy, if I was president, I'd want my own gun. Thanks. Well, because you know, I'm not so sure Obama, I trust all these guys. Obama's perspective is speak stupidly and carry a big drone. Yeah. See, he doesn't need a gun. He'll just drone them if they, if it's necessary. Uh, I've got an article here on... A federal judge is ruling against the Securities and Exchange Commission for using its own judges in an insider trading case might be looked at as hindsight as the beginning of the end of an alternative system of justice that took root in the New Deal but has raised serious constitutional questions ever since. Headline is, did a judge just undermine the administrative state with SEC ruling? Um, This is... What I'm trying to look for the date, ninth uh, of this month. Uh, apparently, on the eighth of this month, three weeks ago, forty forty-five page ruling from U.S. District Judge Lay Martin May. This is a lady in Atlanta issued an injunction halting the administrative law proceeding against Charles Hill, a businessman. The SEC had accused of reaping an illegal $744,000 profit, trading in blah, blah, blah. The point behind this is that the judge ruled that the agency violated the appointments clause of the Constitution by subjecting Hill, the defendant, to proceedings before an administrative law judge who isn't directly accountable to the president. Officials... This is this is the argument from officials in charge of the, uh, or not directly counted the president, officials in charge of the SEC or the courts. Now, this is this runs 
parallel. I haven't read the case yet. I tried to download it, but I got I got I found the case in, in a PDF file, but it did not instantly download in a way I was able to get and understand. And I wound up downloading it just a continuous stream of text, no paragraphs or sections, thing like that, which will make wow, it extremely even easier to read. Yeah, uh, but been telling people for most of a decade now that if you read the text on administrative law in Amjur, American Jurisprudence Second, you'll see that it expressly tells you that administrative law, they describe it as the fourth branch of government. There is no fourth branch under the Constitution. The Constitution provides three branches of government, legislative, executive, and judicial. And each and the powers of one are not supposed to be exercised by either, either of the other two departments. They're supposed to be separate. And I think there's a reason for that. I think the fundamental reason is that when the three legislative powers are separate, then none of them are sovereign. I think the king in in a monarchy... I, I can't prove this yet, but I think it's, I have a lot, great confidence that this is roughly correct. The king is capable of exercising legislative and executive and judicial powers. All three fundamental powers of government are concentrated in the king, in the sovereign. When they set up the Constitution, they said we're going to have three different branches of government. Right? That means that the courts aren't sovereign and the legislature is not sovereign, and the executive branch isn't sovereign. They are divided. Sovereignty is divided. In order to be convicted, you've got to be arrested by the executive based on laws passed by the legislative and found guilty in the third segment, which is the judicial. And insofar as the three departments are separated... Your ultimate conviction represents an agreement by the three separate departments of government that, yep, you're guilty. And if any one of them says, no, he's not, no, he's not guilty, that's it, you're out of there. But when you get the administrative law, they tell you specifically and expressly in the section on administrative law, and Amjur, American Jurisprudence Second, they tell you that administrative law describes a condition where one single entity, one authority, exercises all three fundamental powers of government. There is no separation of powers in administrative law. All right? And insofar as that's true, if the previous speculation where I'm saying when all three powers come together, you're dealing with a sovereign, if that's true, if that was true for King George, it's true with administrative law in this country. And it means that if you're willing to walk into a, and appear in an administrative law court, you're essentially conceding that the, the judge is your sovereign, and you are his subject. Kind of like that's, a king's court. That's what it comes down to. They are the sovereign because they have all three fundamental powers. And this goes to, I mean, I think most of what, we, what transpires today is administrative. 
I have no doubt that virtually everything that goes on in your municipal courts is administrative. They have to go through certain procedural hoops and rest that, but the fundamental idea is the three powers are there in one form. And who are you? Well, you're uppity peon. As far as the municipal courts go, my experience is absolutely uh, it shows that it is an administrative court because because of the appeal, the way they've got the appeal set up. Because you go to a judicial court and things don't work out your way, you say, "Well, I want to appeal." Uh, okay, fine, but your appeal has to be based on mistakes made. There can be no new evidence. Uh, you True. know, you can't bring in new evidence to a judicial appeal. However, yep. in the municipal appeal, you appeal to the. Now you go to like in uh, Oregon, it would be the uh, you know the district court, and your case starts all over again. It's a trial de novo, meaning it's a brand new trial. Right. right. All right. Now it's they, not an appeal. It's in a brand new trial. And what's what's the great problem with that? Who, if we're going to assume, and we're only guessing here, I don't know that this is true, but I believe the trial de novo is a first-time trial in a judicial court. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. The, the original trial at the administrative level was under administrative law. That's over here on the left hand. The the trial de novo maybe is at a judicial level. Maybe. I'm not even sure that's true. But if it is, it's a completely separate entity. It's a brand new trial. Not appeal. It's a trial de novo. Trial is a new trial. Now, what's the problem with the trial de novo? Who gives them jurisdiction to proceed? Oh, yeah, you. Yeah, you, the defendant. The trial de novo gets jurisdiction to proceed against the defendant because the defendant is allegedly appealing to the for trial de novo. It's not up to the government to open it up and say, "Well, we're charging Mister, we're charging Mister Adisk with these offenses under law." Oh, they don't have to say that. They're essentially counterclaiming. I don't know if that's a proper term. I wouldn't say no. That's probably I won't say that's a proper term. But you, as the defendant. You're the one who's given the trial de novo jurisdiction to hear the case. And why are you doing that, Frank? Well, I think it would be a mistake. Uh, yeah, I think so, too. I mean, you, honestly, I think you could probably say uh, in the municipal court that, wait a minute, this is administrative, and I'm not, you know, sorry, I'm not agreeing to this. And somewhere along the line, you probably did if you're there at all. Yeah, but you can raise the issue, and the issue is down here in Texas at least, and I'm going to guess Oregon Constitution, and I won't say it's there true in every Constitution. I know it's not expressly there in the Constitution of the United States. It's there implicitly that we have separation of powers. In Texas Article 2 of the Texas Constitution guarantees a division, they call it division of powers, and they say no one who's part of one of the departments can exercise prop- powers properly associated with the other two. Which means there's no administrative law under the Texas Constitution. Now, the question is, if someone tries to drag me up to an administrative tribunal, all right, and they might say, well, it's faster and, you know, we don't have to fool around with all that right stuff. You don't want to get into that, do you? And most people, oh, no, no, let's get in and get out, get this thing done in a hurry. I think you have to consent. It may be best be based on the presumption that you're a United States citizen, 
It may be best based on the presumption that you're a resident. There's a bunch of things that they may base it on. But if you walk in the door, and I've done this on one occasion, although I never got an answer. I don't know if it worked or didn't work. They eventually deleted I've told you this, I think, before. But they eventually dismissed the case against me. I don't know whether this played a role or it didn't play a role. But we, I told them, I'm one of the people of the state of Texas. And as such, I am a beneficiary of the Constitution of the state of Texas. And one of the benefits I'm entitled to is separation of powers. And so if you would like to try me, please feel free to bring me to an Article 5, which is the judicial department in the Texas Constitution. Bring me to an Article 5 court, but I do not consent to appear or be subject to administrative law. Well, they ultimately dismissed the case against me. They never said why, but that may be part of the reason. It might have been all the reason. They I don't... never say why. No, I know. <laughs> they will never admit why. No, well, that'd be bad. Have to let the cat out of the bag. You know how easy things would be if they would start doing that? Well, the whole system would have collapsed decades ago. <laughs> I mean, because people... Because they'd it. get some guy in there, and they'd have to say, <laughs> well, you got us. Yeah, <laughs> he made this right. argument on one thing or another, and we can't proceed. And everybody would find out, Yeah, especially in the Internet. Everybody would know. The, the judges say, one time, you did it right, you got us. Yep. And next thing you know, there'd be 5,000 people the next day that were trying the same yep. thing, and there'd be 50,000 the week after that, and so on. I mean, the system would collapse yep. if they had to tell us why they did things. Now, I, here's a question from the chat room. Al, why doesn't the 11th Amendment cover both the Obamacare and the homo marriage SCOTUS rulings? Well, I'm not... I, I looked up I the can't. 11th. I don't know enough about the 11th Amendment to tell you. I looked up the 11th Amendment because I didn't either. And it says, The judicial power of the United States shall hmm. not be construed to extend to any suit in law or equity commenced or prosecuted against one of the United States by citizens of another state or by citizens or subjects of any foreign state. Well, they're talking about judicial power. Right. All right. That's point one. Judicial power is under Article 3. That's not administrative power. If you were going to consent... Based on presumption, consent, express consent, assent, uh, silent, meaning silent and implied consent. If you're going to consent to administrative power, it may be that they can do what they want to do again. Um, but it's not something I've studied. I don't have a good answer for you. We've talked a little bit about the, uh, the, the homosexual marriage thing. I believe the homosexuals are right. All right. They are entitled to the same marriage relationship that all the rest of us get from the government. You take out a license, you're not getting a godly marriage. Where in the Bible does it say anything about taking out a license to get married? Godly marriages don't require a license. Oh, absolutely. And the homosexuals, they didn't get a marriage. They got a marriage relationship, which is a fiction, which is the same thing all the rest of us got when we took that marriage license. We got a three-party marriage relationship, which includes both spouses and the government as a third party to the marriage relationship. You know, and this is another one of those things where here's the government using, obviously, something that is not a marriage because the bible says marriage yeah 
And they have taken a biblical word and said, okay, marriage, great. Well, hey, what does that mean? Well, it depends. It's another one of those, well, you better look it up because, you know, just because somebody says marriage and you're thinking, oh, church, God, marriage, right? No, that's not what they're saying. They're saying license, fee, and uh, welcome to the family. Yeah, that's what they're saying. See, even though it's welcome the to the word. jurisdiction too. Yeah, because they're yeah. but they're still using the same word. You know, this oh, yeah. is a great example of people thinking they they know what they're saying when you know when anybody in the law is talking to you about anything, you think, oh well, yeah, that means obviously marriage means what? No, obviously it doesn't mean what it means. They have a different definition of marriage, obviously. You know, it's like we've said before, virtually every word you can find in any dictionary, any halfway decent dictionary, and particularly a law dictionary like Black's uh, Law Dictionary, any of the editions, they have multiple definitions for the words. Mm -hmm. You go up and look up the word marriage. You're not going to find a single definition. You're going to find multiple definitions. And someone's like, well, we're going to provide... We're going to provide you with a marriage today. Oh, great. That's, that's wonderful. Well, what kind of marriage? you got to get this straightened out. See, now. And we have lost sight of that. We've lost the ability to even perceive it. There was a time when, you know, they said they changed from where we had common law. What was the one that followed after common law? Um, law? No, I don't recall. Law. I can't recall. They got rid of. Roman law? No, the deal, we, we combined the law and equity, the, the, the forms and procedures oh, were that. a single form and a single procedure, and the idea was it, was, it would simplify sure. the legal system and make it easier for people to understand. And the truth is, it made it more hard, it made it more difficult to understand. Because in the past, if you were being sued at law, you had one separate set of procedures one separate set of forms for law. You had a completely different set of procedures and forms for equity. And when somebody sent a lawsuit to you, you say, oh, I was suing me at law. And if someone sued you in equity, you say, oh, I could tell right away from the forms, from the procedure, this is equity. And it changes how you proceed. And when you combine the two of them together and say, well, this is to make it easy for everybody, you don't know when you're going to court whether you're going at law or in equity or what you're doing. Yeah, we have well. the same forms and procedures, and they are two different kinds of law. Well, and that's like the whether, time to start asking questions, I'd say. Uh, you know. Oh, yeah. As soon as you get that first document in. What are we doing here? Yeah, you know? exactly. Because, what, what the heck is going on? You know, and I, that's what I would think about this, this whole marriage thing I, at the Supreme Court. And I, I've lost a lot of, well, okay, what little respect I had. Because I figured that lawyers that make it to the Supreme Court are probably some of the best practicing and I, I okay just this definition of this i mean wouldn't it be a reasonable question to ask the court listen uh how do you presume to rule on a biblical matter isn't that outside your jurisdiction or are you are you using a different definition of marriage make yeah. them say yeah and of course, <laughs> nobody did. Apparently, you know. no, I know because there's some things. There's some things that I've talked, I've I've heard of lawyers who've been just flat out told, "Look, you ever ask a question like that again, and it's the last time you're going to practice law, we'll get you disbarred." 
Right. They've got too much money invested in the license. They're not. They're, they're, they don't want to go back to working for a living. They can make great money as lawyers. They don't want to give up that. They don't want to be driven out of the racket just because they ask some awkward questions. Yeah, I get that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I get that. I understand that. It's not honorable. It's not something to be proud of. But it's the way the world is. It's when you're dealing with people, you're dealing with people. You know. And uh, well, you just put together enough big cases, like say an F. Lee Bailey used to, and uh, you know, make your make your bank, and then hey, get this barred in a couple of states. Who cares? Well, that, another thing also. Anthony Bailey, he worked for private people. Right. He won a lot of cases at the trial court level. But you know, there were at least a number of instances, and maybe most of them, when the case was appealed by the government, he didn't win at the, trial, at the, at the appellate court level. Hmm. All right? But he did get to keep the money he made from the private parties. He didn't make an impact in the sense that he was taking a case to the Supreme Court, and I don't know that he never did. He may have done so. I'm not. I don't follow Lee Bailey where I where I know, but you know. But you know. Well, the only reason I bring him up is because I know he got disbarred in Florida. Yeah. You know, and he was a pretty big time, well known lawyer. You know, who had a pretty good success rate as far as that goes as a defense lawyer. I mean, you win anything as a defense lawyer. You know, you. You're ahead of the game. Oh, I agree. That's so rare. <laughs> you know, so it's one of those things where chances of winning, you know, defense lawyers are probably on average in court. How what percentage of the cases they win? Oh God, one out of how many? Uh, one out of maybe I don't know. Uh, what? Fifty. 70? Oh, 50. Okay, yeah, maybe. Fifty be my guess. Fifty be my guess so. that they win. Oh, would you want to hire somebody to flip hamburgers that drops 48 out of 50 on the floor? <laughs> All right. But that's what you're getting when you get a defense attorney. Right. Right. right? Sure. That's why they want to just settle these things out of court. Instead of getting a loss, they get the guy off with five years rather than eight. Yeah, and they call think, it a win. Yeah, they call it a win. You know, it's just like, well, it's no different as, you know, in the patriot realm. We go into court and waste time and, you know, spend time, get aggravated, everything else, and the case gets dismissed, and we call it a win. And we don't know why, we don't know how, and we didn't really win anything except we didn't go to jail. <laughs> and a victory! I got nothing. Yay! I got nothing. Yeah, it's funny, but it's it's true. And yeah. you know, that's been me so many, you know, so many times. So. You know, I'm not laughing at anybody else, you know, except I myself. understand the whole thing. The whole thing makes you laugh at times. It'll break your heart. It'll drive you nuts. But sometimes it'll make you laugh, too. You know, I mean, it's just, oh, my God. You know, a certain amount of what fools these mortals be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, you confront this on a regular basis. You just shake your head. And, oh, my God. <laughs> All right. I tell you what, we're out of time, Frank. We are. We are. Yep, way out of time. So... I want to thank you for co-hosting. I want to thank Thanks all of you for listening. We'll, we'll be back next Tuesday. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, and Frank, the producer. Bye-bye. From
the aspirin mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with Salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Job stress, financial obligations, or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs' emotional stress formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom If you have a heart condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Talk Live. I'm your resident herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Hope you had a great day. 
Thanks for joining us here on Herb Talk Live, where we like to empower you. So we're going to empower you with some really great information this hour. Thanks for joining us on American Voice Radio. We are going to be talking about um, the drought a little bit and the water problem that is facing not only the West Coast, but other areas of the country. And also we're going to be talking about uh, signs that you may have a health problem based on what your urine looks like, okay? And we may get time to talk about some of the um, drugs on the market that people take, um, you know, even over-the-counter stuff uh, that can damage their bones and their liver. So we're going to look at some of that and some al- alternatives to those things. And we we have a quack report. We do. But before we get to all that great stuff, big salute and semper fighter, righteous men and women in uniform, lifting them up in prayer, lifting all the righteous men and women all around the world up in prayer. That's you. That's me. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I spend some time in the Bible. You know, I just sleep better if I read my Bible before I go to sleep. And I was reading Psalms 128. Just last night, and it said, Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord and walks in his ways. Just, wow, just wrap your brain around that one, right? So you'll be blessed. For you shall eat of the labor of your hands. Happy you will be, and it shall be well with thee. That's right. And one of my other favorite things that I like to do each and every day when I'm in prayer as I go over to Chronicles, and right smack in the middle of Chronicles is this prayer uh, that, you know, just Jabez, he, he just, you know, right in the smack of all this lineage. Here's this prayer by Jabez. He said to the Lord, the God of Israel, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast, and that thy hand might be with me, that it would keep us me from evil, that it may not grieve me. Oh, boy, do we need to pray that every day because there's a whole lot of evil out there. So um, seek the Lord's face, mind the time, because it grows short. You'll never, ever regret spending time in the prayer and speaking with the Lord. And without further ado, let's do the quack report. All righty, what do we got in the cracker? Cracker's a little brief tonight. Not going to be as long as usual, but two good things in here. Um, some new research and... Um, it was uh, into some cognitive neuroscience area. They say that um, they think some short micro breaks, uh, if you spend some time out in, um, you know, in, in nature, you know, in, in the grass, looking at the green trees, it's, they say it rejuvenates your brain. It boosts your levels of attention. And they also say that school kids that have more greenery around them um, have better cognitive tests. So they wanted to test this. So um, they wanted to see what the benefits nature uh, had on your brain, and they did an experiment. They wanted to capture the neural signature, observe it through brain scans. So the folks at Sanford um, and Gregory Bateman and his colleagues and some other uh, people around the United States and in Sweden, they did this study, and it was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science, and they, what they did is they took 38 people who lived in urban areas who didn't have any history of depression or mental disorder, and then they divided them into two groups, and they asked them to take a walk. Okay, half the group took a 90-minute walk through a nature area near the Sanford campus. The other half 
walked along a very busy road in downtown Palo Alto, California. And before and after their walk, they had their brains scanned. And the researchers examined those regions of the brain uh, called the subgenial prefrontal cortex, which tends to be an area particularly active during um, maladaptive, self-reflective, um, behavioral withdrawal kind of things, depression, if you will. So the results were that the individuals who took that 90-minute walk and got, you know, saw some green trees, some flowers, heard the birds chirping, and so on, uh, they had a decrease in the area that was supposedly the area of the brain where maladaptive behavior surfaces. So they didn't have that area light up as much as the folks that were walking along a busy city street. So the results are very interesting. Um, apparently getting back to nature decreases that stress level, uh, improves that pattern of thinking associated with good Good thoughts and, uh, you know, gets rid of the mental illness uh, risk and depression. So, yeah, go see something green this weekend, holiday weekend coming up. So, all right, last but not least in the quack report, um, here's a question that scientists posed. They wanted to know how fast does a thought travel? Yeah. Um, so far, the scientists think they've had the nail down quantitatively what the speed of light is, the speed of sound the speed in which the earth travels around the sun, the speed in which hunting birds beat their wings. So they wanted to know, how fast is a thought? Well, thought is ultimate, ultimately an internal uh, complex thing, very individualized process. So it relies on a lot of interactions across very complex central nervous system networks, a lot of neurons and so forth in the peripheral and central nervous system. So researchers uh, wanted to um, take some imaging techniques, uh, scanning of the brain, to see what areas of the nervous system were active during different thought processes and how the information flows through the nervous system. So the time that it takes for our thoughts to occur is ultimately shaped, they say, by characteristics of the neurons and the networks that we have. So many things influence the speed at which information is flowing. So um, their plausible guess, and it's a hypothesis, is that any given thought can be generated and acted on in less than 150 microseconds or literally half the time that it takes to blink an eye. That's their educated guess, which sounds pretty plausible. And that wraps the quack report. All righty. Thank you, Frank. Awesome. Okay, we're going to be talking about the drought, all these countermeasures that's going on, and, of course, the possibility of water cartels. Have you heard about that? Ah, well... A lot of the news outlets have been reporting on the drought conditions in the western part of the United States. They are also reporting on the apparent loss of vital water from major lakes like uh, Lake Mead and Lake Powell. Now, Lake Powell, which was created when Glen Canyon Dam was built and now has this 100-foot bathtub ring where the lake water level used to be. 
So experts are reporting that this lake has a loss of about 45% of its capacity. And this is a significant drop in over, and over 40 million people actually in seven states use this water. So there is real concern that if the drought does not lift and the water becomes scarce, what will millions of people in the southwest of the United States do? Well, importing water is expensive, and it makes growing crops impossible to afford. So water is a sustainable source that humans have to have, and we're going to take a look at what is going on in the United States water supply. Okay, there's three rules. Experts have said, you know, in harsh environments, humans can live a limited amount of time. So the survival experts tell us that, on average, we can live about three minutes without oxygen, in a winter environment, we can survive about three hours without a warm shelter. And we can survive three weeks without food and about three days without water. So remember the threes, if you can, three, three, three. So there have been limited except limited exceptions to those rules, but this is pretty average for most people what they can endure. Well, water is our human life source, and our bodies need water to moisten mucous membranes to make saliva, help cells to grow and regenerate, flush out waste through the urine and bowel, lubricate our joints, help regulate body temperature, convert food compounds in the digestive process, help to deliver oxygen through the body, through the blood, which is mostly made of water, and of course the brain needs water to manufacture hormones and neurotransmitters. So let's talk about our U.S. aquifers for just a moment. Uh, and the U.S. aquifer is, you know, pretty much the lifeblood of the nation. So there are 10 regional aquifers throughout the United States, and some are made up of several smaller aquifers. But the largest is the Okalala Aquifer, located in the central part of the United States. It's one of the world's largest. So the Okalala Aquifer is um, also called the High Plains Aquifer, and it lies beneath eight states. So Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, South Dakota, and Wyoming. So the High Plains Aquifer spans over 174,000 square miles, with most of it under the state of Nebraska. So this is named after a southwestern Nebraskan town, Okalala, and in the 1940s, after World War II, they installed high-power pumps where, where they could withdraw this water at a three-to-one rate, and that doesn't recharge this aquifer. This aquifer is not being replenished. So the aquifer supplies about 30% of the groundwater for irrigation purposes in the United States, and approximately 2.3 million people drink from this aquifer alone. So experts estimate that this aquifer at current use is going to run dry by the year 2028. Hmm. So that means that whole midsection of the country would revert to a dust bowl. Well, let's talk about some of the conservation. Um, yeah, we're told that the largest drain on these aquifers in the United States are agricultural use and drilling for oil. So the aquifers supply half of all our water needs. So the other half comes from surface water, you know, like your lakes and streams and rivers. So droughts tend to shrink the surface water available to us 
and it forces us to tap more heavily into the aquifer, which, you know, they don't recharge. So the research from Stanford University in California stated that currently 60% of the Californians' water comes from groundwater or the aquifers. So that's about a 40% increase. So there has been an increased demand for wells to be dug. So people are looking for water on their own rural property, uh, but there is such a demand that um, there's a 12-month wait for a drilling crew to show up. So a drill, the well driller Brian Howard reported that when they're drilling wells in the Central Valley, California area, they have to exceed the normal 1,000 feet for a well in order to hit water, and that pushes up the cost of drilling a well to $300,000. Golly. So he says, as the aquifers are depleted, the land sinks, a lot of sinkholes. So in the Colorado River Basin, it's reported that 40 million people in seven states are losing their groundwater, uh, about twice the amount of water stored in Lake Mead, which is the largest reservoir in the United States. And if you've seen pictures of Lake Mead recently, it's looking like a mud pie. Okay, so NASA scientists report that the groundwater contributes about 75% of the water lost in the basin. Okay, so what about this, this kind of rumor about water cartels? Is that true? Well, many people in Texas... Our surround, our, our, and surrounding states around Texas are very concerned about the water due to the drought and also because of a business plan that's called Pickens Plan. I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's uh, after a businessman, T. Boone Pickens. He is an oil man and a corporate raider, and he is the largest landowner in parts of Texas. So he brought the rights to the water that lies beneath 68,000 acres of his land. And you guessed it, he sits above the High Plains Aquifer. So Mr. Pickens says water is the new oil, and he owns more water than any other U.S. citizen. So he owns so much water that he's pumping it out and selling it to foreign countries, about 65 billion gallons per year. So according to Mr. Pickens, quote, he says it's all about supply and demand and people will buy water when they need it, end of quote. So you might want to watch the market share shift to water, and it's being called the new blue gold. Uh, Apparently Pickens sees an opportunity to siphon off this natural resource and sell it to the highest bidder. He's even able to drill on a slant and suck up the water that is not beneath his own land, And um, we are most likely going to be entering an era of water brokers or possibly a water cartel could take shape. Now, big corporations, uh, big corporations such as Nestle have gotten a whiff of this and are, you know, are snatching up land from rural residents in order to harvest water. And what you are seeing here is a massive move to lock up water supplies. And now in some states, people are prohibited from using rainwater collection barrels as government protects those who have paid for water rights, and that includes rain and runoff. Now, Attorney James Olson, he he specializes in water and land use. He says, quote, the idea that water 
can be sold for private gain is still considered unconscionable by many, but the scarcity of water and the extraordinary profits that can be made may overwhelm ordinary public sensibilities, end of quote. Oh, yeah. When I was growing up, um, you know, water was just one of those necessities for human life, and, you know, it had to be accessible to everybody. Couldn't, you couldn't be outpriced, you know, where the poor couldn't get it and the rich couldn't monopolize it. So uh, let me read you this quote by Andrew Laveris. He's CEO of Dow Chemical. He was quoted in a magazine 2008, the, the Economist magazine. He says this, water is the oil of the 21st century, end of quote. Well, we got water wars, apparently. Uh, a Canadian utility called Canadian River Municipal Water Authority purchased 43,000 acres south of Mr. Pickens' property in Texas to secure the water beneath it. And since 1900, the use of groundwater in Texas is governed by what is called the rule of capture. What that means is whoever can pump up the most water wins, and if you can drain your neighboring property of water, then there's nothing that your neighbor can do about it. So the, the competition for water is heating up, and the cities in the Plains area can pay as much as $600 for an acre of water, and that's 893 gallons for about $0.67 cents per gallon. Now, in the last decade, water prices have doubled. Most municipalities will add to what they pay for that water, like sewer fees and other charges. Um, for instance, less than an acre of water, like 748 gallons in Charlotte, North Carolina, is $4.51. So the average family of four in North Carolina pays just under $100 a month for water without watering the lawn. San Francisco, California, has lost $25 million in water revenue, which they need to recoup, and residents will see a minimum of a 32% hike in their water bills come this winter. Now, nearly 80% of the state of California's water use is from the agricultural sector, so the Panhandle Groundwater Conservative District in Texas is very concerned about water. The, uh, when major corporations and banks and wealthy individuals buy up land for the aquifers, the lakes, the streams, and, and then they draft legislation through lobbyists to prevent private citizens from collecting water off their own roof or from snow that falls on their property, well, then you know something's seriously wrong and the lives of millions could be at stake. What I just hear recently, California pays $11 a gallon now for water. What's their water bill, like a mortgage payment? Uh, oh, we're going to move forward, though. We, we have, as we move into the future, the water is not replenished in the aquifers, and droughts affect our lakes and our streams. There's going to be some modifications to our standard of living, don't you know? Some businesses will not be permitted to operate like car washes or water amusement parks. Personal swimming pools could be closed. Landscaping companies and golf courses could go out of business. You know, anything that uses water, you know, excessive water every day. And, of course, you know, the cost of food is going to continue to climb, right? Got to water the food. Now, currently, California is looking at 
lot less. It's looking a lot less green these days, uh, with 50 million square feet of lawn turning brown. Okay, so Californians may adopt to you know landscape, get a landscape strategy similar to Arizona, where they use a lot of rocks and drought-hardy cactus, possibly. Now, in some areas of California, people have been forced to move after their own well had dried up. And it's not, it's kind of hard for me to imagine. It really is. It is. It's hard for me to imagine a water bill as high as a mortgage payment. Uh, But we could be all headed that way. Not just California. Could happen anywhere. Let me read you this quote by Executive Order of the State of California. It says, the water board shall direct urban water suppliers to develop rate structures and other pricing mechanisms, including, but not limited to, surcharges, fees, and penalties to maximize water conservation consistent with statewide water restrictions. End of quote. Mm. Well, we might have to go back to the 1990s. You know what they did then, you know, when water was an issue? Some folks... um, were supplementing their water needs with a few simple pieces of equipment they got out of the hardware store. And they weren't violating any water rights doing this. So what they would do is they would go buy a good humidifier, and they would get um, a foot-long hose and a, and a hand pump and a 55-gallon drum. And the people um, would have these things on top of their apartment buildings, and they would be able to collect water from the air in about, five or six gallons in a few hours. So this was even being done in very arid conditions. So if you plan to drink this water, it's best that you pass it through a good filter first. But, I mean, it's definitely something you could use to water, you know, a rooftop garden or something of that kind. All right, let's look at some of the basics. Now, if I guess if it isn't clear yet, it will be soon that we really need to make some preparations to have our basics together, you know, our shelter, our food, our water, uh, to carry us through a minimum of 12 months. Now, also necessary is going to be the means to grow food, so I hope you got some heirloom seeds. And, you know, being able to sustain ourselves without an infrastructure is is really going to be uh, difficult. We're not going to be accustomed to having such a challenge, but if we have prepared ourselves as best we can, it's going to be a lot easier. So the more prepared we all are, the less stress we'll have. So self-defense supplies are going to be also need to be procured. And don't forget your backup medical supplies. Now, your standard first aid kits or your um, paramedic kits, you know, they're good for good basic trauma stuff. But you're also going to need medicine to prevent sickness and to get well. So over-the-counter drugs and your prescription drugs, going to have a limited shelf life, usually roughly about two years or less if, if, if they're unopened. So these products can contain active and inactive ingredients for specific disease. So there is a point when these ingredients deteriorate and then the chemical properties change. So when that occurs, it can actually be possible to see the deterioration and layers of the, of the, of the uh, drug separate and change shape and color. So This makes the drug um, weak and unsafe. So research has actually documented that expired medicine can negatively affect an illness. So improper storage of your drugs can accelerate the instability of the drugs and reduce the shelf life. 
So these drugs are toxic before they expire, and after they expire, they actually can cause organ failure. So you want to be real careful about expired medicines you may be stocking. Now, personally, I plan to go with the whole food supplements and the medicinal herbs for my health support. So the herb powders, they have a five-year shelf life. The herb liquids, a 10-year shelf life if they're properly stored. So you want to keep them away from heat and light. So if you don't have electricity, uh, you don't have the environmental controls, well then, you know, a root or a wine cellar will do. An apothecary herb celebrates, guess what, their independence and self-preservation. They're having a 15% off sale on any orders of $50 or more, and that runs through the 5th of July. So you can use this coupon SAVE and the number 4, SAVE4, and you'll save 15%. And this is an excellent time. You know, to pick up a, maybe their safe bike kit, pandemic kit, power herb pack, heart support or formulas, organ cleanses, immune boosters, or maybe even your year's supply of organic whole food herb products, and you'll save. So if you're serious about herbs, you need apothecary herbs, so give them a call at 866-229-3663, 866-229-3663. If you're outside the U.S., 704-885-0277, 704-885-0277, or go to the web, thepowerherbs.com, thepowerherbs.com. That's where your health care options just became endless. I hear the music. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back with more. Don't go anywhere. into the original medicine. Herbalist Wendy Wilson will be right back. As men get older, they are subject to hormone imbalance. And when this happens, men can experience osteoporosis, memory loss, irritability, blood sugar imbalance, weight gain, enlarged prostate, erectile dysfunction, and risk of stroke. The human endocrine system manufactures hormones. Why not feed your system plant nutrition to make the hormones that are right for you? For centuries, these herbs have been used to balance the male hormone system. Men, you've waited long enough for the male hormone formula. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 for the male hormone formula. 866-229-3663 or online at thepowerherbs.com. 866-229-3663 where your healthcare options just became endless. Leaping tall buildings with a single bound? Faster than a locomotive? 
Whoa! Find the Superman in you. Listen to Herb Talk Live with herbalist Wendy Wilson. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. count high, half of all men over 50 have an enlarged prostate. You can shrink your prostate without harmful drugs or risky surgery. The secret to healing the prostate is to cleanse the prostate and the liver. Call Apothecary Herbs to ask about the prostate kit for a comprehensive way to heal and soothe your prostate. Educate yourself on how easy it can be to disinfect, cleanse, and restore your prostate gland. Call Apothecary Herbs for the prostate kit and successfully reduce swelling, inflammation, dissolve stones, and cleanse the blood to obtain the results you need. Money-back guarantee with every purchase. Call the experts in organ cleansing. Call Apothecary Herbs now for the prostate kit and empower yourself. Toll-free 866-229-3663 or international callers 704-875-8010. That's toll-free 866-229-3663 or visit the web at thepowerherbs.com. today getting a little retro all right we're going to talk about what our urine can let us know that's happening we may not know something's up in the body but the urine sometimes can give us some clues you may notice that something may not be right if the condition of your urine changes in other words it's consistency or it's color it's odor and then you may have an issue that 
needs attention. So our urine actually can alert us to a lot that's going on inside the body. So if, there, if there's an infection, you may see some white blood cells make the urine look murkier um, or have an odor to it. It could have a characteristic odor. or Sometimes it could smell like ammonia, which is definitely a urinary tract infection. So scientists list some causes for urine odor. They'll list uh, bladder infection, kidney infection, cystitis, diabetes, kidney stones, acute liver failure, and even the use of prescription meds. So some foods also can cause temporary changes in our urine, like synthetic vitamin B supplements or eating asparagus or orange juice and coffee, eating rice with saffron on it, alcohol, turkey, onions and spicy foods, um, you know, or if we're just not drinking enough water, it can change the consistency of our output there. Now, one of the first indications there could be a change in our urine is how it smells. So if something doesn't smell right, then maybe a closer visual inspection is in order. Most changes in, most of the changes that happen in urine are going to be odor, but they'll be temporary. Um, so let's say if you don't drink enough water, the urine could have a stronger odor and a stronger color to it. So if your urine has this strong ammonia smell, like I mentioned, you're probably dehydrated or you may have a urinary tract infection. So if you have that ammonia odor and it continues, um, then, or if it is accompanied by a burning sensation when you urinate, then it's definitely a bladder infection. So what about a, a sweet smell to the urine? Well, this is an indication that there is blood sugar problems, and you may be on the verge of diabetes. Now, a musty smell to the urine indicates there is a liver disease. So bacterial infections must uh, make the urine smell kind of foul. So if your urine continues to smell like rotting cabbage or ammonia, rotten eggs, or real bad body odor, you better investigate the cause. Well, let's talk about cystitis. Uh, this, is, uh, this term is uh, in medicine uh, uses it as a generalized uh, term as an inflammation of the bladder or the urethra, the opening that connects the bladder to the outside of the body. So this is usually caused by bacteria located in the bladder and gives the sensation of urgency to urinate or uh, you have a sensation of a full bladder when it's really not full. So the bacteria can enter the bladder from the bloodstream or from outside the body through the urethra. And this condition is more common for women than it is for men because females have a urethra that's much shorter and bacteria can reach the bladder easier. So women are much more prone to urinary tract infections, which can lead to cystitis. However, men can also get cystitis too. So for men, cystitis can be caused by an inflammation or an enlarged prostate. And we can also uh, develop cystitis from sundry items like perfumed soaps or bubble baths or bath salts, which can irritate the urethra. So if you leave it untreated, cystitis can lead to complications like sepsis, which is blood poisoning. Don't want to go there. Also, it could lead to kidney infections and kidney failure. And if you're pregnant, it can cause premature birth and low birth weight in the infant. So the, the age group that is most at risk for this type of infection are going to be the elderly and those with a history of kidney stones or kidney disease and those with immune system problems or with diabetes. 
Now, occasionally, occasionally people are misdiagnosed, and it is attributed to the frequent urination as an incontinence problem. Mm. Well, let's talk about kidney stones for a minute. So if you are um, developing kidney stones, um, you will definitely notice this because pieces of the crystallized substance from the stone, usually it's made of calcium and uric acid and ammonia acids or proteins. That's what the stones are made out of. So the stones can break off and they can impede the kidney's ability to filter out waste product from the blood. And so it deposits this into your urine. So you may experience blood in the urine, nausea, vomiting. You also better seek medical attention. So when large stones move through the kidney to the bladder, this is when pain occurs, called the renal colic, as it, as it were. So if the stone gets stuck, serious complications could occur. Men are more likely to develop kidney stones than women. And if you are over the age of 30, you are more likely to develop kidney stones. So people that are living in hotter climates sweat more, and this tends to reduce the amount of fluid in urine, creating concentrated urine with the proteins and calcium for the stones to develop. Overweight individuals are also at a greater risk of kidney stones, and as are people with gout, high blood pressure, bedridden patients, those exposed to excessive stress. So doctors will perform ultrasounds and blood tests to determine if you have kidney stones and prescribe pain medication to help you pass the stone. So uh, also, if you drink a lot of soda, you know, I, I noticed something. Um, uh, men in, in labor jobs, you know, construction uh, laborers, you know, they're always running through the drive-thru to grab something, you know, and uh, they drink soda. And they really should drink water because soda is going to deposit more um, sugars and, and it pulls calcium out of the bones, the, the sodas will, and um, because of the high sugar content and it deposits it in the kidney. So FYI, if you're a contractor, you know, a plumber, a builder, uh, some sort of tradesman, try to drink the water, not the soda. Well, let's talk about liver failure. If the liver is going to be stressed due to excessive alcohol intake, viral hepatitis like hepatitis A or B, or from prescription medications, this can make the urine smelly. So the urine may take on this dark color and kind of look like reddish brown, almost like tea or cola. And you will, um, you will urinate frequently, of course, and some mistake this color for blood in the urine. However, with the liver failure, this will not be blood. If there is blood in the urine, it's due to problems with the bladder or the tubes connecting the bladder to the kidneys. Alcohol does not directly damage these organs. So other general in indication that it is a liver problem is that you have this yellowing of the eyes or the skin. Another sign is if the stool is also going to be light in color. So you also could feel weak or lethargic and have sudden weight loss or weight gain. Now, one clinician in Nova Scotia made some interesting scientific observations regarding patients with liver failure. Their breath would smell sweet and flowery, but also smell like feces. So it smelled like sweet, flowery feces, if that makes sense. So the medical term is fector hepatitis or hepatocactus, which translates as um, basically uh, the breath of the dead because, you know, they got organ failure and it's, it's just in any time now. 
And so it seems that this is a sign of the late stage of liver disease and um, these certain substances tend to accumulate in the blood and the urine and pass directly to the pulmonary where you can smell it. Instead of the flowery aroma, there, should also, there could also be an ammonia smell to the breath as well. Well, let's say your urine looks murky. What's going on with the urine? Normally should be a clear straw yellow color or a pale yellow or maybe a little slightly darker yellow, um, but if it looks white or murky, what's up with that? Well, usually it can be pus that's clouding up the urine creating, uh, created by an infection. Men with prostate infections can sometimes see this urine indicating their infection. And um, men pro with prostate infections will see this. Women with bladder infections will experience murky urine. And sometimes the urine can cloud up and have uh, no other symptoms when um, you're just consuming too much milk or you're eating um, uh, a heavy meal. Sometimes it can be created by just some of the things you're eating. So cloudy urine can be um, morning urine, which clears up as you consume fluids through the day, or your urine can especially clear, and, um, and it indicates you were probably just a little dehydrated, and as you drank during the day, it cleared up. Now, if you have uh, urine that's a dark orange, it tends to ir indicate you were dehydrated and you need more fluids in the kidneys because what the kidneys have been doing is recirculating the fluids before it passes it to the bladder, and that's not good. So medications can also produce these side effects of orange urine, because the dyes that can be in some of these drugs, like in laxatives, laxatives have that orange coating on them and make your urine look orange. Now, for the most part, urine color changes. But if you are, um, if you if you notice some symptoms like pain, burning, pressure, frequent urgency, uh, and odor, you should be checking this out. Okay, it's, it's not something that probably will pass on its own. So if you, urine looks brown, it could be from your liver having a problem, or maybe you're eating foods like vava beans or aloe juice or rhubarb. Sometimes that can change the uh, urine color too. Medications can cause blue or dark green urine, which kind of is freaky to see. And uh, you want to check the side effects of these meds to make sure what it is you're taking. Please investigate those before you even start on them. Um, so also you want to be aware of some things. If you are aware of the circumstances creating differences in your urine or your stool, you can be literally the first responder to your condition that you have. So you don't want to ignore these indicators. So the more knowledge you have, the less panicky you will be that something is cropping up, but you don't have to get, you know, too, too freaked out. Um, you understand that you have to, you know, follow through and find a cause of it all, okay? Uh, there are some things that can influence uh, all these indicators. Of course, lifestyle is the big one. Um, uh, I tend to like to uh, uh, do the cleanse and nourish approach because that kind of sidesteps a lot of internal medicine problems. You get the toxins out. You put the good nutrition in. The body knows how to rebalance and heal itself, and you can avoid a lot of complications in life. So you want to do your homework on any products 
um, you know, prescription or otherwise recommended to you uh, before you use them. Uh, even when it comes to, you know, herbs, sometimes people have sensitivities to herbs, so you want to make sure you read ingredients as well and check them out. But typically, uh, organ cleansing is uh, very effective, very simple, very basic, but it is effective. Uh, the herbs are medicinal in nature, and they help to sweep the bowel of impurities. And uh, when you lift the impurities out of the system, uh, the organs are lighter, uh, they're less stressed, they can regenerate like they're supposed to, and uh, you, can, you can have more vitality and energy. So if you're interested in looking at things like the kidney bladder cleanse kit, um, the bowel cleanse, the prostate cleanse kit, um, and, and all the way through the blood system, we have them all at thepowerherbs.com, and you can get there. Type in an herbtalklive.com as well. But you can definitely cleanse away toxins that can give disease a foothold. And um, a lot of people are getting into the cleanse and nourish approach. very easy and not very expensive. And uh, they're staying out of the doctor's office, right? Uh, that's right. Absolutely. It's empowerment. It's tools and knowledge that help you uh, yourself, help your system function properly. So check that out, powerherbs.com. Or if you want a catalog, call them, and they'll send you one, 866-229-3663, 866 866- Two two nine three six six three. thepowerherbs.com. All right, we've got a few minutes. So we are going to be talking about um, some drugs that can damage your liver and even your bones. Because uh, a lot of people are on medications. You know, the doctors prescribe them. Um, and you know, they don't check it out. I, I encourage you, if you have a smartphone, uh, the moment the doctor is writing the prescription, ask him for the name of the drug and get on your phone and check out the side effects, right? Um, I've, I've been uh, aware of a couple of people that, you know, did that, and they told their doctor, oh, no, I'm not taking this and because this antibiotic you're prescribing for me uh, it can turn my teeth irreversibly gray. You know, tetracyclines tend to do that. Um, so um, definitely... If you have technology at your fingertips, you definitely want to check that out. Or before you fill the prescription, you definitely want to go to um, your computer and and check out what your options could be if you don't want to use that medicine. Talk with your doctor. Tell them you want something as safe as possible. Or if you don't want to use um, prescription drugs, then you want to check out other options possibly in the herb realm. So doctors will tend to run tests on their patients and check for damage, especially on um, prescription drugs that are very toxic that can hurt bones and liver. They'll run tests um, every few months. Uh, They want to check for damage. Uh, The liver can indicate that there's a serious problem on the lab reports when um, the liver enzymes tend to get out of whack. out of without their outside normal limits, but uh, Dr. Carley's been on the show that says, well, when that starts showing up, the damage is being done to the liver. Doctors immediately tend to take you off that medication and prescribe something else. Um, so you, you you have to be aware of what you're taking and what you're risking, okay? Because a lot of times what you're risking is worse than what you're taking it for, okay? Now, do doctors or drug companies, well, they, do they lose any sleep over the risks you're taking? Um, no. Um, 
you just assume that they're really, 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 really concerned about your health, but ah, I beg to differ. I really do. Um, if you find a prescription, if you fill a prescription, it indicates that you um, have these risks of, you know, cancer, liver, or some sort of organ failure, uh, you know, increased risk of heart attack, whatever. I mean, why would you take that? Seriously, if it's just to clear up, I don't know, a bladder infection, let's say, or a skin condition. I mean, there's there's other ways to do that. There's other ways to do that. So you definitely don't want to have to have a bone marrow transplant, do you? Well, do your homework on these medicines before you risk your body to them. Now, drugs that can significantly destroy organs or your bones will have a disclaimer of information um, that the drug could cause serious disease with an alkaline uh, phosphatase imbalance. So look for that. Also, you want to read and think about what the doctor says uh, that the problem and what the lab work saying Alkaline phosphatase, or ALP, if outside normal limits, can prevent you from passing your physical exams for employment, uh, for uh, exams to qualify for sporting events, uh, for life or health insurance. So you've got to be careful what you're taking. It can really mess you up. Uh, the ALP substance that is found in your blood and in your body tissues, um, these are important for structure. Uh, and, it, and it will differ depending on the organ that's being affected. So alkaline phosphatase is going to be a huge indicator on a lot of tests for a lot of important things in life. If you're getting tested for employment, sporting events to clear, for health and physical, whatever. Okay, so let's look at the list of drugs that can mess you up. Um, it's pretty long, but these are the ones that are going to mess up your alkaline phosphatase level. Drugs that treat gout and kidney stones, cancer, are going to mess you up. Drugs that are anti-inflammatory in nature, going to mess you up. Birth control pills, diabetic medicines, um, psychosis drugs, cortisone, male hormone drugs, antihypertensive drugs, or the drugs that tend to relax your blood vessels, narcotic pain medications, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, beta blockers for high blood pressure, anti-anxiety drugs, tranquilizers, antibiotics containing erythromycin, um, tetracyclic antidepressants, and STD medications. Going to mess up your alkaline phosphatase levels, your ALP, going to show up on the blood, the lab work, and uh, it's going to be a problem. And so how do you know this? Well, if your alkaline phosphatase level is out of whack, how do you know what areas of the body to be concerned about? Well, if your ALP is high, your doctor will order another test called the ALP isoenzyme test, which helps to pinpoint what area of the body that has this wacky level. So the test will act like a process of elimination to help determine if the bones the liver, the gallbladder, your glands are affected, for instance, or maybe you have a vitamin D deficiency that's making this level go crazy. So if any area is outside the normal range, and the normal range is 20 to 140, um, well, it's going to be a very bad day 
if it's outside that level. Um, and you're going to have to be closely looked at, closely looked at, <laughs> microscope time. All right. So if your ALP is abnormally high, for instance, and on one or more of your tests, then you could be diagnosed with bone disease or you can have trouble healing from fractures. You could have bone tumors, soft bones, or several other problems related to bone disease. If the gallbladder is the culprit, well, then it usually indicates there's a blockage, there's a bile duct problem, there's a problem transferring bile. If the liver's indicated, you could have hepatitis or a liver infection. If the glands or the blood are the suspect, well, then you could have lymphoma or leukemia. So watch these drugs, please. Watch, watch, watch. Mess you up, mess you up. Now, sometimes your ALP level is due to malnutrition or a protein deficiency or maybe even a bowel disease or Wilson's disease, which is a disease where you have too much copper accumulate in your organs, but it's kind of rare. So all of these conditions promote, uh, promoted by drug use, which can further mess up your APL levels down the road. So it's perpetual bad idea. So how long does it take to mess up these levels? Well, within 14 days, you could have an APL level that is like 170. Long-term use of such drugs we've mentioned for cardiovascular depression, anxiety, hormone imbalance, diabetes, arthritis, STDs, well, it could put you at serious risk of a secondary disease caused by these medicines. And by the way, long-term use of medically is medically defined as one year. So if you're out there on heart drugs and diabetic drugs longer than one year, you're really in that high-risk bracket. All right, high-risk bracket. All right, let's look. Well, why risk it? That's what I say. Uh, there are less expensive, less risky ways to deal with these health issues. A lifestyle is your most powerful tool to help correct problems. You want to layer in some regular exercise because our bodies are designed to move, and when you increase circulation, blood brings healing, so it's definitely a good idea. If you're diabetic, you definitely want to check out some ginger root and cayenne to help improve circulation to the small capillaries of your extremities, um, and maybe even look into the possibility of some someday doing a blood cleanse, sooner than later if it were me, uh, because you want to cleanse the sugary debris out of the blood so your wounds can heal. Uh, so there's lots of things you can do other than risk yourself to all these drugs. So a detox is, is a good idea. Um, you actually will do a, a small um, cleanse when you, when you um, do a fasting. Um, people sometimes fast for the religious reasons. You fast all night before you break the fast at breakfast, and that's great. But we live in a very toxic world, so we have to do more. So if you're interested in learning how to cleanse safely and successfully, call the folks at Apothecary Herbs. They'll get you the information you need, 866-229-3663, or call them, 866-229-3663, or the web, thepowerherbs.com. Think about it, time. I got to go. The information presented is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure disease, so seek medical advice from a licensed medical physician if you dare before using any product or therapy. I'm your herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Till next time, be well.
prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Addis, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events for Wednesday, July 1st, 2015. Good afternoon, Al. Hi, Melody. Seems like it should be a Friday today. It's been a long week. It probably is on the other (laughs) side of the international date line. It should be in Greece. Uh (laughs) It should be in Greece. If anything, it should be something in Greece, but we'll talk about that later because we know it isn't. And uh, But let's get right to the market report today. Wendy Wilson is joining us today, and I believe we are going to be talking about blood. But first, gold artificial today. Artificial blood. Not artificial real blood, artificial blood. blood. Well, gold today was uh, the bloody day in the markets for gold, down 450. At 1169, you have silver down 10. At 1567, platinum managed up five bucks at 1087, and palladium took a whoo, three and a quarter percent increase, up 22 at 700 dollars. USDX today up 74.74 at 96.25, and well, they beat crude oil down into the gutter. Down 2.53 at 56.94, and I have an inkling I know what that was about. And the paper markets today, they were all higher. Hey, it's July 4th weekend. What do you expect the weekend before a holiday? Everything's going to be rosy. You know, Obama's rating so much for him being a lame duck this year or this, you know, his last term, and uh, his rating 50%. He's at 50. It's like, how does that work? It's 
all due to same his- way the U.S. dollar index works, the same way the price <laughs> of gold and the Dow Jones works. If people yeah. adjust these things, and it's all actually, they said it was benefit, ladies and gentlemen. You will be happier if you accept these numbers. Actually, they said it was because of his his uh, the way he manages the way he has been managing managing the racial conflicts. It's his, uh, oh. Yes, and and then also the economy. The Dow was up 139 points today at 17,759. The Nasdaq up 26 at 5,013. The S&P up 14 at 2,077. Ten-year yield, 2.42 percent. Euro 111 down 0.84. And Germany was up. There is no reason why these markets were up. London was up uh, one and a third percent. Germany to almost. Uh, Two and a two and a fifth, I guess, two point one five percent. Hong Kong was up over one percent, and um, so an interesting day in the markets. But again, it's it is an interesting day, day in the, the markets. Market. Mm-hmm. Kind of so, got um, Rogers neighborhood going on here, neighborhood market. But uh, so let's get to Wendy Wilson, and uh, she's joining us for the first uh, segment on the program. Al, uh, good afternoon, Wendy. Oh, good afternoon, Melody. Hello, Al. Hello, Wendy. We're yeah, going to talk about artificial blood today? Absolutely. I think it's a good day to talk about that. <laughs> um, you know, because we, well, we kind of had an explosion in artificial products over the last hundred years. I mean, we have artificial conception with the test tube babies. We have artificial turf footballers. football uh, is played on. We have artificial intelligence, artificial transplant plantable body parts. Uh, we have GM foods, artificial sweeteners, and most recently now we're coming into the realm of artificial blood. So um, blood typically is the life source. It brings healing to the tissues. It's, uh, it supports our metabolism, as you know. It is a vehicle that transports the life-sustaining fluids and nutrients. It also contains some tissue as well as water to support all the cells and carry away debris and harmful toxins. So why would they want to mess with that, right? Well, they can make a science. Book. I know science has been tinkering with making artificial blood since the 1600s. I didn't know that, but I thought that was interesting. Um, it is often referred to in science as the oxygen therapeutic or hemoglobin-based oxygen carrier called the HBOC and also a parafluorocarbon. About 33% of Americans require blood transfusions on a regular basis to save their lives. And we're told that artificial blood, they say, is necessary due to insufficient blood donors to keep up with the demand of the 4.5 million Americans that need blood. So what's the difference between natural blood manufactured by our body and the artificial blood made in laboratories? Well, according to the U.S. National Library of Medicine and the National Institutes of Health, artificial blood does not fulfill the same functions as natural blood. Here is their statement, which appeared in the 2008 Journal of Critical Care Medicine. It says this, while true blood serves many different functions, artificial blood is designed for the sole purpose of transporting oxygen and carbon dioxide throughout the body. So apparently... 
Yeah, apparently there's lots of ways to manufacture artificial blood. They could use petrochemicals to make synthetic blood. They can use isolated chemicals, or they could use recombatant biochemical technology to splice pieces of DNA from any species, and even including bacteria, and they create blood with it. So this artificial means that lab- we, this this means that we can finally get blood out of a stone, or maybe out of a turnip. Is that what we're doing here? Well, I'll leave it to science, right? Yeah? Yeah. But uh, artificial laboratory-made blood for human blood transfusions, basically they're taking some of it from stem cells in ambivocal cord blood or from a, adult donor blood, and then they manipulate it in the lab to force it to mature into a functioning red blood cell. Now, this is what we're told um, uh, it's able to deliver oxygen and carry away carbon dioxide, but here's a quote from... Uh, let's see, this is Dr. Suman Sakar. He's of the Department of Anesthesiology at IMS Baramis Hindu University in India. He says this, artificial blood can be produced in different ways using synthetic production, chemical isolation, or recombatant biotechnology, tech, biochemical technology. His synthetic hemoglobin-based products are produced from hemoglobin harvested. Are you ready? from E. coli bacteria, mm. end, of quote. end of quote. Wow. I mean, wouldn't that be great to be in the hospital and you're getting a blood transfusion, and by the way, that's made from E. coli? Well, at least it's not made from spiders. They're making some sort of, I don't know, they're combining spider genes with goats to make, instead of milk, they're getting spider silk. I'm not uh, well, I know they already got lambs that glow in the dark with, you know, some sort of, um, you know, jellyfish thing. Uh, they're supposed to be not for sale. You know, they're cloned sheep. They glow in the dark, though. They're, they got jellyfish, you know, fluorescence. Can you imagine? Your sheep, you're counting sheep at night, and they're jumping over the moon, and they're green, you know? <laughs> yeah, okay. I get it. You'll be able to see them more clearly, though, to count them. Oh, you yeah. got to give them that. Okay. Well, let's talk about the clinical trials real quick. There, there are many different versions of the artificial blood in clinical trials, um, but none is really being used right now in hospitals in the United States yet. But it's estimated that we could see artificial blood products on the market as soon as 2022. And scientists at the University of Bristol, Cambridge, and Oxford feel that artificial blood that they're working with right now will be ready for consumer use within five years. So according to their lead researcher, Dr. Nit Watkins of the National Health Service Blood and Transplant, he's the director there, he says synthetic blood is comparable to real blood. He states artificial blood is real. But the National Science Service announced that human trials of artificial blood will commence by 2017. So they plan to transfuse a few teaspoons of artificial, artificial blood into several volunteers to watch for any adverse reactions. And they also want to see how long the artificial blood will survive in a human recipient. But researchers feel the benefits of this artificial blood will far outweigh any risk. They say the benefits are that the blood is free of infections like HIV or hepatitis, well, aside from that E. coli, right? And also it's only going to be um, sterilized blood. They're going to make sure they sterilize it. So, but you know what, Al, Melanie, this blood will only be as clean as, and as clean as microscopes can detect anything. Because remember, polio vaccines in the 50s were supposed to be sterile. But when they were reexamined by the microscopes in the 70s, 
It revealed that they were loaded with infectious pus and disease that the microscopes in the 50s couldn't detect. So, FYI. Now, another benefit they stated for the artificial blood is that it has a longer shelf life. It requires no refrigeration compared to real blood that has to be used within 42 days and requires special storage. Now, another advantage is that regardless of your blood type, Al, this artificial blood is universal. It can be used on anybody. That's interesting. I can see, you know, I mean, I can see the advantages to it or the need for it in some circumstances. You get in a car accident, you need blood, you don't have to worry about blood type, you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, supply per se. In emergency circumstances, I can see where this can be helpful. But I wonder, how does your how do your kidneys filter out this artificial blood? Are they able to filter that out of your, out of your bloodstream yeah. and, and, and pass it off, uh, do you know? Yeah, well, see, that's what they want to check, see. So mm-hmm. hospitals, you know, you, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if hospitals go strictly artificial blood and they drop that type in cross-mass test, you know. Uh, and they also, they also state now that artificial blood has no immunological reactions. But, you know, if that statement were true, they wouldn't have a need for a five-year human trial to give teaspoon-sized doses to check for reactions if that were the case. But um, another thing to remember now is, Oxyglobulin is a synthetic blood product that's used in veterinarian medicine, and it's been approved for use in the United States and Europe. And they think it also will be useful for humans, too. So they, they, it, it'll probably be a real close uh, synthetic match to what they're using for pets. So um, now they say artificial blood Now, that blood is doesn't... interesting. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. What's the probability that this artificial blood will not only work regardless of type in all people, will it also work in animals? Yeah. What's the chances, huh? Yeah, you may be able to get, you need artificial blood to get out of the veterinarian. He's got some. You can get the same stuff. The the cows and the pigs, goats, sheep, cats, dogs. Well, how about this? You know, how about this? You're a pet owner. You're in an accident. You get a blood transfusion. You got artificial blood. Then your pet has, you know, some anemia, and then you give him some of your blood. <laughs> you know, I can donate to my pet. Mm. Okay, never mind. It's no, I nuts. get it. I know. I get it. And they can donate to you. Uh, yeah. Well, okay, here's the thing to consider, though. Um, real blood is composed of red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets. So when blood has these elements, it's able not only to carry oxygen to organs and cells, It also can remove toxins and debris, and artificial blood does not perform like this real blood. And what happens is they're worried that the blood vessels of the body will begin to tighten, which increases the risk of high blood pressure. Capillaries can also collapse, and strokes can occur. Heart attack could happen, as well as death could be the result. And this is the reason why artificial blood hasn't been on the market before, because these were all real adverse effects. And uh, less severe adverse reactions, they think, are swelling and fever. So it's, it's side effects like this that have kept the artificial blood, you know, in the lab and not in the OR. So um, now the Journal of the American Medical Association reported in 08 that they had 16 human trials using five different types of artificial blood. And out of 3,500 patients, there was a threefold increase in heart attacks 
compared to the control group that only used natural donated blood from humans. Now, get this, later analysis of that research made scientists change their conclusions from the negative results, stating that that was misleading, that they reasoned that artificial blood varied in its benefits and risks, and some experienced serious effects and some didn't. So kind of similar reasoning for the use of toxic drugs that tend to, you know, kill people and vaccines that, but you know, make money. tend to give us. Yeah. Well, let's get to that money question real quick because I know we're running out of time. Um, the average cost of real blood transfusion was in 2012 was $18,000. So that's about 180 to $600 per pint hospital cost depending on location. So if you're in Boulder, Colorado, you pay the $600 mark or the hospital does for that pint. Europe is really embracing the artificial blood. Uh, BioPure estimates the cost of their artificial blood will be $1,000 per pint. And it's not clear if that's hospital or patient cost. $1,000 per pint? Yeah, <clears throat> if, that's patient, if that is patient cost, then the hospital is paying about $100 a pint for mm. that artificial blood. But we're told that one pint of artificial blood may be equal to two or three pints of natural blood. Now, Dr. Pierre LaFoley reports from Brown Biomed that the cost of the artificial blood will come down as the manufacturing process becomes more refined. So um, also, if you're on artificial blood, you're going to require a little bit more monitoring at, at first. So that's going to push up medical costs. So they estimate that artificial blood products will net the industry a minimum of $7.6 billion in the U.S. alone compared to just $75 million profit from using natural blood. Oh, gee, I wonder if this is a motivation. You don't think so, do you? You're going to make uh, a billion, make several think, billion think, as opposed think. to a few million? Let me think. Let me just, you know, God said um, money is the answer is all things. Money is the answer of all things, Lord says, so I'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know we're out of time, but, you know, uh, I think it is the money. I really do. Personally, you know, there's, there's uh, herbs that will build up the blood if you're anemic in 24 hours. If you juice raw beets and drink raw beet juice, it's the minerals in the beets that help your blood hold on to more oxygen and build it up. So um, check that out. I would say check that out. I'd say one other question is this. If it doesn't have any white blood cells in it, mm-hmm. and the white blood cells are used to destroy I know. Tox- uh, toxins in, in your body, cancer right. cells and so on, is there going to be likely be an increase, a loss of immunity and an increase in disease? That's if a you're good using question, Al. That's a good question. Now, if your body, if your body cannot replace those white blood cells, I don't know what... The artificial blood, it may hinder that manufacturing process. Who knows? Or there may be something in the blood that gobbles up those white blood cells. Ah, this is a big test, you know, yeah, and know. they're just. Listen, and they must why... have done these tests in the past because they've rejected this thing in the past. They must have done tests. The tests yeah. couldn't have been too successful or they wouldn't be giving people just a couple of teaspoons of this stuff. Right. As to end the new tests. They know this stuff is dangerous. We'll see what happens. Wendy, why don't you give us some contact information? Absolutely. Uh, Folks at Apothecary Herbs have a blood cleanse formula. If you want to just boost up your blood system, you can check that out. The website is thepowerherbs.com, or you can give them a call for a catalog at 866-229-3663, 866-229-3663. Everybody have a great 4th of July. We'll see you later. 
Happy 4th of July, Wendy. Thank you. We'll look forward to talking to you next Thursday or next Wednesday. Excuse me. That's Wendy Wilson from thepowerherbs.com, 866-229-3663. Give her a call. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival, and we'll be back in a moment. heart condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it, It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival and programs brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver. For all your gold and silver coin needs, what's next, Melody? 
Well, I came across a couple of articles today involving Iran and, uh, you know, oil. There was a lot of pressure on oil today down two and a half, 56.94. And this could be one of the possibilities since this article was released. How the U.S. oil companies have been largely blocked from the country since 1979. And as these sanctions uh over the last couple of years, uh, once they begin to loosen up, it, it allow these U.S. companies to go in there. Now, Russia's Gazprom and China's CNPC, they have developed some of the oil and gas projects, uh, but they, too, have run into some trouble, uh, some disagreements with the Irani- Iranian government um, over various things. So as these nuclear deal talks continue, uh, you might see uh, some of these sanctions being removed so that the uh, oil companies could rush in. Now, the deadline, while the uh, July 1st was the deadline, uh, I guess there's a new deadline for these talks uh, as of, uh, I think, July 7th. But um, what's interesting, so they have a lot of oil there. What I don't get is it makes you wonder the real reason why these sanctions are being lifted from Iran. And because if you have more oil in the market, you'd assume the prices would go lower. So it would hurt more of the production, even more so than what we've had since the Saudis have lowered the price of oil. So it would pretty much wipe out any production here in the States. And is the reason the U.S. is working with Iran, is that one of the reasons why the Saudis have left the oil prices drop to these real low levels uh, because they don't like Iran? And uh, so it's uh, and then you have to also ask yourself, well, do they need Iran's oil? Because I guess they have uh, quite a bit of it uh, to be uh, pulled out of the ground. A lot of their oil is processed onshore. And uh, so there's areas in the Persian Gulf that they can go into and so forth. We know Iran has or does sell their oil in various currencies so is the U.S. looking to find a new petrodollar? Uh, you, you know, know that's petrodollar. an interesting point on these negotiations. Mm-hmm. I wonder what effort, if any, is being made to get Iran to agree to sell their their crude oil only for dollars. Um, and, you know, the only other reason I could think, uh, you know, because they do have a lot, Saudis could be, at, maybe they really do have peak oil. You know, that's kind of debatable. You can see, you can debate that both sides, whether they have peak oil and uh, so forth. But, I mean, it's truly hurting our production. You know, so what was the last couple of years all about? Well, it really raises questions about what would the price of crude oil be right now if we had never sanctioned Iran? Mm -hmm. I mean, to some degree, it may be that the price of crude oil has been globally overpriced for the past, for most of the past decade or more. Simply because Iran has been taken out of the out of the international market, or at least restricted in the international market, um, they come back in, and maybe uh, it makes you wonder what's the price of oil going to be a year from now. Likely to be up or down. Well, if they come on with uh, uh, now, it will take a little bit of time to develop these new large oil and gas fields. Uh, but still, Iran remains one of the few places that has an enormous upside. The, uh, they estimate that half of Iran's oil production comes from fields that are more than 70 years old. So look at all that oil they have in there to, to come out. So I would think that prices would be lower. Again, it depends on how this all plays out with the Saudis, because uh, you know the Saudis and Iran aren't best buddies. 
And, uh, you know, the Saudis need a certain amount of, of that oil uh, bought from them because, you know, they've turned their society into a socialist society where, you know, all the people there are getting money from the oil and so forth. They live as fat cats. And, uh, you know, so they need that money, that constant inflow. Um, so it'll be interesting. To, my question is, why? Is, is it to the dollar? And there was another article out today uh, about Iran where it says it has recovered part of its gold reserves frozen under international sanctions after an accord sealed on the sidelines of the nuclear negotiations with the world powers. Central Bank Chief... Uh, Valiola Sif, quoted by state news agency IRNA, said the accord covers the repatriation of a total of 13 tons of gold blocked in South Africa for the past two years. Three consignments have been returned to the central bank since the start of the week, the governor said, adding that the last was the delivery of four tons on Tuesday night. He said the gold was purchased earlier and kept in South Africa, but could not be transferred to Iran because of sanctions. This operation was the result of a compromise struck on the sidelines of Iran's negotiations in Vienna on its disputed nuclear program. The two sides have set a new target date of July 7th, as I mentioned, for the final accord. And according to Washington, around $100 billion of Iranian assets have been frozen across the world under the sanctions over its nuclear program and um, for its support of terrorist organizations. So... They are getting their gold back. This is a sideline. You mean they're getting it back faster than Germany is getting its gold (laughs) back? Well, they only have 13 tons. Well, it doesn't matter. The most important point is their gold was stored in South Africa, Africa. but Germany's was stored in the United States. Part of it, yes. Get it right uh, back from South Africa. My point is it takes a few years longer. My point is here they're making these... uh, lifting these sanctions before the negotiations are complete. Uh, good faith, I would say, um, lifting these sanctions. And again, you, you kind of wonder what really is going on uh, with Iran and the need uh, to get... You know, one of the things that's happening, I mean, it's almost impossible to figure some of this stuff out. And even the people in positions of power, you know, in many re- in many respects... They come up with a certain theory, and they say, well, I think this would do this. I think this would have this effect. They don't know for a fact what they're doing is going to have the effect that they're hoping for. All right? All of this is being improvised. But one of the things that crosses my mind is the dollar has been rising on the dollar index over the last year. It's much, I don't know, it's 20 points higher than it was a year ago this time. It was 25, 28 points higher. It's not that much, but still, we've seen on the international market, we've seen dollar deflation. And that's bad for the government. They don't like dollar deflation because it causes the price of their debts and their borrowing costs to increase. It's bad for business in the United States, or at least it's bad for export business in the United States. Government doesn't like deflation. If they were to put more oil on the market, one of the, one of the consequences of this would probably be an increased inflation rate. The dollar would actually fall to some degree on the, on, on the U.S. dollar index. We'd probably see more inflation. 
it would be better for government, better for debtors, better for stimulating the economy, better for exporters. So you can sit back and wonder, is anybody, is, is anyone trying to say, well, let's bring Iran, let's drop the sanctions, let them start producing oil, push the dollar down, it'll be better for the economy. Is that part of anyone's thinking, or is it just my imagination? And that's all I have. I don't have any facts to support that idea. That's just conjecture, but it crosses my mind. But what we do know and what it is telling us is, you know, things are not all rosy. I don't think these oh. these uh, these negotiations would be going on just for the heck of it. You know, just for, you know, hey, boys, uh, you know, come on in. You join the party now. You know, there there's reasons. You're talking about the nuclear. Iran. Yes, there's reasons. Yeah, yeah. There's reasons why these uh, negotiations are going on. Well, of course there's reasons. You know, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it's a there's deeper financial. I think it's a deeper financial. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. There's a reason here, and it's not just about whether or not we're going to get Iran to stop producing nuclear fuel uh, that might be used, potentially could be used to make bombs. I don't think that's all that's going on here. You know, there's other reasons, ulterior reasons, and blah, blah, blah. We'll watch and see what happens. Why do you think that we've heard so little about the Iranian negotiations over the course of the last... I don't know, four or five months, really, I hardly heard a word. For six months or more prior, you know, six months or more ago, Israel was threatening to bomb Iran. Israel was protesting that this proposed deal was a bad deal, and Israel really had its, you know, its knickers in a knot over this thing. And we haven't heard anything about them. We haven't heard anything about anybody. Why do you suppose they've had so much silence? on the Iranian negotiations. By the same reason there's so much silence on the TPP, <laughs> people would be outraged. But I think there are a lot of things going on. They're just not getting publicized. I, I think I, there's I think, another point. It may be they've known for months that Iran really doesn't want to close this deal. Some people think they're just stringing us along. They're just, pretty, you know, extend and pretend. It's like... We'll just watch and see how long they can get the United States to go along with potential proposals that never will be that they don't intend to allow to happen. But something well, is I mean, I, it would, this isn't, These were important negotiations, and they've been completely out of the news. We've listened to Greece, 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 Greece. But we've had these, distraction. you know, this is supposedly over nuclear weapons. You'd think this is more important than Greece. You think it's at least as important, and yet we've well, heard most nothing. Well, I think there there are reports with Kerry and their and the negotiations and and so forth. But uh, I mean, there's no reason why. I mean, if those sanctions are lifted, they're they're getting sanctions lifted without having to go through with the with the deal. So, you know, they're gonna they're gonna try and get whatever they can. And I mean, I did read an article where one of the I don't know which type of a political name would be in their courts, you know, during these negotiations. But, you know, several of them, several of them cried out death to America, you know, and the bottom line comes to the Ayatollah. He he has the final say. And uh, so, and I think that's, you and know, he all these. he appear to be positive no. about this. He appear to be he, no, regards he wants it. his nuclear weapons. He's going to take it. He's going to go with, I mean. I don't even know that he wants nuclear weapons, and I don't know how, I mean, Iran has been around, it might be, no. it's one of the oldest countries on Earth. It hasn't invaded anybody in centuries. 
I don't think Iran is an aggressive country that's inclined to use nuclear weapons. That might be an exaggeration. Maybe it's reliable, maybe it's not. But I think he's upset because they want, according to this deal, Iran has to allow inspectors to go into all of its military facilities. But they've already poo-pooed that. They, 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 I don't understand. They, you know, they, they want their... They're saying, we don't want to go along with this. You're not going to just... So, I mean, they want, they want their weapons, and they, they don't no, they want, want to go along. they want their secrecy, because they, I can understand from Iranian perspective, if you're going to sit back and say, well, we'll let the Americans come in and inspect our military facilities whenever they want, if we're going to do that, what are the odds that the Americans can inspect Iranian nuclear facilities and whatever they learn, and not just nuclear facilities, but military facilities, and wow. whatever they learn won't go to Saudi Arabia, who doesn't like Iran, or won't go to Israel. I mean, our relationship with Saudi Arabia and Israel, our relationships with those two countries are so solid, it is not unreasonable for Iran to sit back and say, I'm not going to tell the United States all this. They'll just give it to the Israelis and the, and the Saudis. They've made it clear they want to bomb us. I can't imagine Iran would be that far advanced in their military. But I agree. You know, the U.S. speaks with forked tongue, so absolutely they, they could and would use it against them. I, I understand that. But um, I don't know. They have July 7th, so we'll see what happens when July 7th uh, comes around. But uh, I thought perhaps with, uh, you know, the oil, if they're closer to an agreement and perhaps their oil coming online, we could see lower oil prices. Maybe that's what hit oil today. And, of course, I thought it was interesting about the gold. Well, it is. Well, yeah. And one of the other things about it is as long as, the dollar keeps gaining value or is held up in the 95 range or whatever on the U.S. dollar index, gold isn't going to soar. On the other hand, if, we, if the oil was from Iran was turned loose, in theory, that would increase the pressure of inflation mm -hmm. on the dollar. If it did, price gold is going to go up. Go up. Mm -hmm. So we'll watch and see. And here's uh, we're just about out of our, our segment here. You know... You have so so many of these people with just billions and billions of dollars, and all this money is all coming together. And to me, it is a way that these ultra-rich, these ultra, I mean, all their money goes to, you know, to, to help promote the globalism and, and to finish the New World Order. Here you have the Saudi Arabia's Prince Alawid bin Talal. He's pledged to give away $32 billion over the coming years. And um, he's the 20th richest person. Um, with $30.5 billion, so he's going to keep a little for himself. <laughs> um, but uh, he made the announcement today it would be used for work in areas including inter intercultural understanding, disease eradication, providing power to remote areas, building orphan, orphan, orphan you can say it, Al, <laughs> and schools, disaster relief, and empowering women. Yeah, okay. But he's doing this a lot along with the lines with Bill Gates and Warren Buffett after they announced, uh, you know, combining all their money together. Uh, they are worth about $151 billion combined. And uh, they have, of course, the Gates Foundation in which there's more than $46 billion. So, you know, you have all these billions of dollars going into these funds, uh, changing the world uh, for tolerance, acceptance, equality. And uh, certainly we know that doesn't all work out very well. So Well, we have to tolerate the government. We have to tolerate. Tolerance. Because where well, will it be? 
That's what made America great. So you have people, you have these young people like the, the Zuckerbergs with his billions of dollars, all these youths that that made just billions of dollars on their little apps and little programs that really don't do anything but destroy family. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just interesting boggles times. the mind. Boggles you the you mind. live in interesting times, the old Chinese curse. We are definitely in interesting times. Let's take a break for some commercials. Melody and I will be right back on Financial Survival. Please stay tuned. relationship problems have you feeling stressed out when life is too much to handle use apothecary herbs emotional stress formula feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee you've waited long enough call apothecary herbs now toll free 866-229-3663 that's 866 866- Two two nine three six six three. International callers dial seven zero four eight seven five eight zero one zero, or order online at the three w's dot thepowerherbs dot com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. What's next, Melody? Oh, whatever, Al. It just gets frustrating. Here we are going into July 4th, and we have all these things that are going on, and Obama gets 50% rating. I mean, (laughs) it's just like really complete insanity everywhere. Well, you know, it's like destroying flags. It's like motion pictures where you have sequels. You gotta have better special effects in 
the number two picture than you did in the number one. And the number three has got to even be better if you want to make any more money. Um, the public needs, you know, you got to have a new and even more impressive act every time you come to town because the public is waiting for it. They can't. So Obama, he's got a I don't. They've at least got to create the illusion that he's uh, oh, it's just everything. It's just everything, Al. I mean, just you know, you read, look at some of these headlines, and you read the. I mean, here Hillary has more of an email mess, and and she is, uh, yeah, and they still think she's going to be the nominee. I mean, it's like really, yeah, it's just you just get worn out with the corruption. You just get worn out with. Uh, But you see a couple glimmers. Trump loses business deals over comments about Mexico or Mexicans, but gains in the polls. Donald Trump made some comments recently about illegal aliens coming in from Mexico, and he described them as rapists and criminals and blah, blah, blah. But not all of them. I understand, but nevertheless. And he says there's some good ones in there, too. Well, my point is he he will lose the illegal alien vote. That's gone. However many votes he thought he was going to get for illegal aliens, that's gone. Jeb Bush, on the other hand, he sat back and said, we speak Spanish around the home almost all the time. And uh, he's going to be getting the illegal alien vote, which is just evidence that Bush is an idiot. And Trump, despite the headlines, uh, it points out he's gaining in the polls. He's jumped 9% since he announced that he was running for office, and he's now second. He's got 12% in the polls as compared to Jeb Bush, who has 19%. Um, You know, Trump jumped from 3% to 12% just since he announced that he was going to run. I think that's, what, a week? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, you know, I mean, he's got got momentum. Um, We'll watch and see how this goes, but Trump has the... Trump has the right solution while Jeb Bush is out trying to kiss everybody's backside. Trump is saying, look, here's the way it is. And uh, I don't know. So we see glimmers of, you know, glimmers of hope. It's confusing, frustrating, bizarre, incredible, too fantastic to believe, a lot of it. And yet here we are. We have to deal with it. You know, it's like the business with Greece. We get tired of talking about Greece. But on the other hand, Greece can be instructive. You know, there are some lessons. It's like going to school. You didn't learn two plus two equals four the first time you heard it. You had to hear it again and again and again. And maybe you can, from that repetition, you wind up learning things. And sometimes it may be important lessons, even though we're tired of talking about it. Here's one example. Earlier today, July 1st, this is from Blooming, Bloomberg video, uh, and Zipper signals he's ready to make a compromise. That's the headline. Earlier today, Greek Prime Minister Alexis Zippers so, uh, has, has shown compromise to end a standoff over the nation's bailout by accepting creditors' proposals with some disagreements. Okay? Earlier today, he's ready to compromise. I'm looking at it and think, look, this is a done deal. You didn't make the payment. Just do it. And oh, no, no, no. It's, this is still a live issue. Um, but earlier today, he's ready, ready to compromise. And about an hour ago, now two hours, really an hour before the program began, 
Here's a headline from Reuters. Greece's Zipras digs in against bailout. One hour ago, uh, now two hours ago, a defiant Prime Minister Alexis Zipras urged Greek on, Greeks on Wednesday to reject an international bailout deal, wrecking any prospect of repairing broken relationships with EU partners before a referendum on Sunday that may decide Greeks' future in Europe. Less than 24 hours after he wrote a conciliatory letter to the creditors asking for a new bailout that would uh, accept many of their terms, Zippers abruptly switched back into combative mode in a television address. Well, I don't know. You know, it's not like it's big news, but it's it's the kind of story that's that really does you can you can discern things from looking at these two headlines. In the morning, he says, "Let's make fun. Let's you know, let's make nice." And within then within the same day, he says, "You know, y'all can y'all can just go to go to the hot place." Um, it's evidence desperation, confusion. Nobody really knows what's going on. Nobody can keep their stories straight. How will it all work out? I don't know, but it's unstable, that's for sure. There's another one from Greece. This 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 just cracks me up. This is from the New York Times. Headline is Greece. Missing IMF payment is called effectively in default. Athens, Greece missed a critical debt payment to the International Monetary Fund. The fund said earlier uh, Wednesday, deepening a crisis that has haunted world leaders and financial markets over the past week. Greece is not technically in default, but missing the payment of 1.5 billion or about euros or about 1.7 billion dollars is yet another warning that the country will probably be unable to meet its other obligations in coming weeks. Greece hasn't met its obligations for five years. The creditors already took a haircut of 53% a couple of years ago. Greece was in default then, but because the creditors allegedly accepted that loss voluntarily, it didn't count as a default. Greece defaulted three years ago. All right? Now they defaulted again yesterday. And now they're still playing around word games. Greece is not technically in default. All right, it's another warning. The country will probably be unable to meet other obligations in coming weeks. No, not probably. They don't stand a snowball's chance. (laughs) Um, If they do, that might make the bank, one of the country's chief creditors, less willing to uh, continue emergency loans that have been popping up Greek banks for the past several months. We may have time to get to that before we get done here. The European Central Bank may not give any more money to Greek banks, and that's important for reasons we'll touch on in a minute. But by declaring Greece in arrears, they didn't say they're in default. They say they're in arrears. The IMF avoided avoided using the term default. Credit ratings will... uh, also will not consider Greece in default based on missing the IMF payment because the IMF is not considered a commercial lender. Also, we are now in July, which is, does not have an R in it. Melody, that's one of the reasons we're not going to consider that Greece is in default. 
Uh, what we're talking about here is that it doesn't matter, apparently, whether Greece ever actually pays its bills or never pays a dime. What counts are the words used to describe the Greek condition. No one is saying, coming right out and saying, you defaulted, you defaulted, you defaulted. Nobody's saying that. They're saying it's, it's technically a default. One of them says it's effectively a default. But nobody is saying it's a default. And it just cracks me up because I don't. Why won't someone just tell the truth? You know, it's one of the reasons why some people are going to vote for Trump. I get the impression that he's not going to mince words if he's elected. I might not like him in office. I don't know that I will. I kind of I think I, I think I might. I think I probably will. I might not. But I would at least respect the man if he just comes out and he doesn't pussyfoot around and he just says, "This is the problem." Now let's see if we can solve the problem. You know, we can't solve a problem. It's the key to any kind of problem you have is diagnosis. Doctors don't get paid to take scalpels and cut holes in your body. They get paid to diagnose the problem so they know where to cut. The diagnosis is key. We're not going to get a diagnosis as long as people continue to play word games and quibble over whether Greece is effectively in default or actually in default or has defaulted or is technically in default or is in arrears or whatever. They're not paying their bills. They haven't paid them for three years. They're not going to. I know they paid some of their bills, but the big ones haven't been touched. So, word games, word games, word games. What's the significance of the European Central Bank, however, has continued to fund Greek banks? Even though they haven't cut a deal with the Greek government, they've continued to fund Greek banks, provide funds to Greek banks. Why do you suppose that is, Melody? You tell us, Al. Well, I don't know, but I'm going to guess that it's this. They're concerned that the Greeks are going to have a run on the banks when this deal breaks down, which is they've been funding. They've already had a run on the banks. I know that. But they've been funding the Greek banks for a month or more, even though it looked like the negotiations were going nowhere. It was a separate deal. Why? Because if there's a run on the banks, under fractional reserve banking, I've heard that in Europe, the banks can go as much as 23 to 1 on the ratio of how much money they can keep in the bank and how much out of, in other words, out of every $23 that they deposit in the bank, the banks only have to hold one in reserve and they can lend the other 22. Now, that's a great formula and a necessary formula. Fractional reserve banking is a good thing. Because otherwise, if you put money, you save money, you put it in the bank account, that money would be taken out of circulation. It's got to be loaned to keep it in circulation and keep the economy moving. If we just kept putting our money in the bank and effectively hoarding it there and and not lending it to anyone, um, the economy would die. Fractional reserve banking is a good and necessary concept, but... When you have a 1 in 23 ratio, here in the United States, I think it's 1 in 10. They have to keep $1 in the bank for every 10 that are deposited. It means in the United States, if 10% of the people hit the bank at the same time and say, we want our money, the bank will probably be shown to be insolvent and be forced to close its doors. 
In Europe, I've heard that I don't know what the fractional reserve ratio is, but I've heard it's 23 to 1. At least it can be. Now they can go that high. Operating on the assumption that the Greek banks are 23 to 1, it means that if one person out of 23, about 4.5% of the population, if they, if one person out of 23 went in and said, I want my money, then that 4.5% went at the same time, it would probably be enough to push the banks into insolvency. They'd have to close their doors. And while people might get their deposits back someday, they wouldn't have immediate access, that's for sure. I think that the reason that the European Central Bank has continued to subsidize the Greek banks is to put more money in the, in the vault just in case there was a bank run, which has now begun. Right, and we'll see how big this bank run gets, but have they put enough money in the vault where it takes more than one person out of 23 to put them in insolvency? Does it take one out of 10? Does it take one out of five? Right? As the percentages of people required to create a bank run, as they increase the banks, become safer, uh, the probability of a bank insolvency is diminished, and the system can continue, can continue to function. But if the banks start closing down because of bank runs, then they're trashed. I mean, then they've then then that'll really that's that's a big step downward. That would be a big step downward for the Greeks. So uh, that's the importance. That's the significance, to my mind, of. The European Central Bank continuing to fund Greek banks. And it's also evidence that the European Central Bank is not holding a grudge, per se. It's, it's even a kind of indication of a certain amount of goodwill between the European Central Bank and Greece. They may not be getting along with the current government. They may not ever get their money back. But at the same time, they're not just completely pulling the plug and say, die, die, you arrogant Greeks. They're still providing money to the banks to keep this system afloat. We'll watch and see how it unfolds. We may know, me know better by next uh, tomorrow. We may know a little bit more for sure. The Greek drama will continue. We're out of time. I want to thank all of you for listening. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. Uh, see you manana in the meantime. May the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Frank the producer. Bye-bye. I work all night, I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? Still, there never seems to be a single penny left for me.
Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be dependent on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. 